If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, we would be living in a totally different format. We as journalists and activists have always found it very difficult to find people who will openly talk about being bisexual. Just don't think there are enough bi perspectives on bi issues. I feel like we've got to talk about it because we're really comfortable doing that. It can be really intimidating. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. I've always found myself at the mercy of gay and straight advice. You can have a bit of competition to see who's the better bisexual bruncher. This is Bisexual Brunch. Another bisexual brunch. And Nikki, it's the last few days. You're on the countdown, the big countdown. By the time, in fact, this show is edited and goes out, you may already be on the other side. But how is it feeling at this moment? <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah, you two said to me that I looked really well and chipper. And it's because I'm like, mm, what am I going to eat? Sushi that I haven't been allowed. What am I going to drink? Champagne. What am I going to do with myself Like when this baby is out in my arms instead of in my body? Hand her to Fernie, obviously, <laughs> and have a little break. No, this is my fantasy life where I think this is what I'll be doing once I've uh, had the baby. But yeah, I actually feel really good. I'm like, oh. And obviously the last, the last hurdle is the greatest. But... um. Yeah, I feel good overall. I'm just just. I that have I got to, to say, after after having a partner that's had two kids like recently, like I am genuinely shocked. Like when we like agreed to do this so close, I was like, "That's crazy!" Like Nikki's gonna be like <laughs> literally slumped in a chair with a blanket over her, like barely able to speak. And you look great. You look full of life. You look chipper. <laughs> you look refreshed. I'm like. That's crazy. You're My ordeal is nearly over. That's how I see it. <laughs> so I can't wait. Um, and obviously, I'm very excited to meet her. And I'm very lucky in that my husband, Ferdy, has got a year off work. Well, he's chosen to take a year off work. I know this is like very privileged. Most people don't get to do that. So again, it's not just going to be like me left with the baby. So, And my mum's coming over from Australia. So it's a happy time. But the thing is, unlike most people, you have meticulously planned all of this, haven't you? So explain to listeners. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, from the beginning, I knew that I definitely wanted an elective C-section, which is how you give birth is, all, is very personal. But I was like, no, I want to know when, when the baby's been born. You can go into hospital and they can move it a day. That's kind of all that happens, really. I was like, that will make me feel way more organised and confident. And then I said to my husband really early, early on, if you don't, if you're not around, I'm not doing it, basically. So he had to then figure out, oh, yeah, OK, right, well, I'll quit that job and I'll be around and save some money up. And then I've made sure that my mum's coming at a certain point and that my friends are going to be here at certain points. I mean, yeah, I, I'm just always amazed by the stories that other women tell me in particular of how much they're going to do by themselves. I was just like, no way. This is a joint venture. So, And I've carried the baby for nine months, so I'm definitely handing her off for a few weeks. Well, you do look fantastic. As Lily says, you look really, really nice. And you, you, oh, you, you're, in, you're in white... You look quite glam, actually, in a way. You know, glamorous, glamorous mum to be, definitely. Well, like I said to you, Ash, this is the last time I'm going to get to wear white for many years, yeah, isn't it? Absolutely. So. <laughs> Good stuff. So we're we're actually in. Just for the listeners to know, how many days are we from officially when the baby's supposed to be born? Five, Five days. days. It's Sunday, and I'm having the baby right, on Thursday. Okay. okay. And, <laughs> Crazy. Day. And what will happen on that day? What's the What's the process in terms of having an elected cesarean? What do you you have to go in for a few hours before? How do they prepare you and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so basically you fast from midnight 
you go in for 7.30 and then you're in a queue. Okay. <laughs> so it depends what happens on the day. There's well, you're a Brit, so you're good, you, know, you like queuing. I'm fine yeah. with queuing. I know who my surgeon is. He's fantastic. He trains other surgeons. It's just quite straightforward. And the thing is, when you have the operation, without going into gory detail, you tend to have the baby in your arms within the first 10 minutes of the operation starting. The rest of the operation is I'm just stitching you up and checking everything's okay. So it's, it's and you don't, you don't go into labour and your water still breaks. So you don't have any of that hassle. Right. So I've just got to pray that she doesn't try and come before Thursday and ruin my best laid plans. But it's, it's very straightforward. And has she been kicking much recently? Yeah, they move differently towards the end. Lewis will know this because they just don't have the same room. So they're kind of just like yeah. annoyed all the time and like they push out against your stomach rather than kick, kick. She's definitely ready to be born. She's very big. She's already, she already weighs six pounds 13 at the last measurement. So she's going to be at least eight pounds. Wow. She's a whopper. <laughs> <laughs> all the more reason to get her out, get her going in the world. Absolutely. Well, we wish you luck with it this week. We'll be, uh, we'll be, well, I'm sure you'll be, you'll be, you'll, you'll, you'll let us know, I'm sure, as soon as it's. <laughs> I will uh... definitely let you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Side note, Nikki, you need to send me your new address because I have like a card and gift here already. Like, you're prepared. I'm like prepared. So I'm like, right. Thanks, love. Okay, so I'm, like, I, don't, I don't know what her new address is. Right. Where does she even live anymore? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where does she live anymore? So, okay. so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll update you, obviously, in the next episode just to find out what uh, the early days of, um, you know, being a mum for Nikki are all about. We're, I have a real one last... I have one last side question. Who's having the dog? Oh, yeah. The dog's going... Uh, good question, actually. The dog's going to our friends for a week on holiday. So right. we can get used to... Because we are going to be in hospital for a few days for various reasons. Um, yeah. And then he's going to arrive home to baby being here. We've tried to prep him as much as possible. We did a special Barkers and Babies course <laughs> to wow. uh, to get us to know all the tricks about how to get them introduced properly so that he's not jealous and... He's just been so fascinated by all the baby paraphernalia that's turned up. Like, all the toys are so exciting, all the rustling, the new room, new furniture. He loves children. But uh, we've also made a pledge to not say to him, we have this catchphrase in this house, when he's really curious about something, you go, what is it? Like that to him. And then he immediately jumps on it, licks it, eats it, does whatever. And we've said we can't say that about the baby, otherwise she's going to get yeah. destroyed. So <laughs> so, that, so keep this thing that me and my husband keep reminding ourselves of, don't say that phrase when, when she arrives. But so, yeah. barkers and babies is a thing, is it? That's yeah. A thing. Yeah. Well, because it, I mean, it is true. It's, it's run by a dog behaviorist and somebody who does the NCT stuff, right? Because like you kind of do have to marry these yeah, two yeah, yeah. creatures. So I think it's a great idea. I definitely feel more organised for having done it. Yeah, so, good yeah. stuff. Good stuff. Well, well, we'll 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 get an update on that as well and find out how, how the dog's <laughs> coping with it all. Um, fantastic. Um, okay, well, coming up on Bisexual Brunch this time, we've two bisexual journey stories. One from an Iranian asylum seeker turned British citizen who was jailed in Iran for, uh, but eventually found uh, his true bisexual self in the northwest of England. We'll be hearing from him later on. We have another bi-journey story with a direct link to Bisexual Brunch. We'll reveal all that a little bit later on as well. And we've an Ask a Bisexual question, this time tackling the issue of big age gap love. That's all to come uh, on Bisexual Brunch uh, this time around. Um, but why don't we start where we finished off last time, I suppose, which was on these statistics, which um, continue to evolve in terms of what they actually mean to, to us and to the wider population as well. We're honing them down and sort of working out exactly what it all means in terms of um, the numbers, in terms of the 
uh, sort of the, the top ten and all that kind of stuff. We've got the top five now. The top five bisexual places in the country to live, where most more people are bisexual than anywhere else, are number one, Norwich, number two, Cambridge, number three, Brighton, number four, Oxford, and number five, Lincoln. Now, just a bit of a caveat there. Bright, all of those, apart from Brighton, uh, the population of being bisexual is higher than being gay. But in Brighton, um, the gay population is higher. But obviously, the bisexual population is pretty high as well. So there, Bright, Brighton's third on that list. Of course, there are other places as well um, that are pretty high. We mentioned before, York, Sheffield, Bath, Bristol, Luton, Plymouth, Nottingham, Derby, Lancaster, Leicester, Luton, Leeds, Ceredigion in Wales and a number of other places. To put it in perspective, if you look at the, the top one there, Norwich, which is quite a small city, but the 3.8 something percent, I think it is, in Norwich of people who identify as bisexual, um, basically in actual figures comes to 8,285 people out of 213,000. So that's quite a big number of people in a small city like Norwich, actually. That's quite a community, isn't it? But I would hazard a guess... That a lot of those, I mean, I, I mean, I think there are there are things that are done in Norwich that bring people together, LGBT community get together there. But I would think a lot of those eight thousand two hundred eighty-five people probably don't even stumble across each other. They don't connect necessarily, and that with a story across the whole of the country, won't it? In different places, in terms of bisexual people, because you don't go around with a big B on your head, kind of thing. So I suppose the question for for all three of us, really, going forward, as sort of the people who are making the most noise on a regular basis about bisexuality, is what needs to be done by both the LGBTQ plus community and the groups that exist, and there's loads of them, as we know, um, and what needs to be done by local authorities to sort of help the bees along in these places. But is it these places that are the crucial bit, or is it the, is it the outside and outlying areas where people aren't as open maybe these places are doing good things so i suppose what i'm saying really is what's our priority here we could say oh we want more money and all the rest of it but what's going to help the bisexual people of britain actually come more to the fore and be more comfortable and you know help us to enable the communities to actually address things that are specifically b lewis any thoughts well it's a really tricky one isn't it and it's always sort of hard like kind of trying to give a recommendation to specific areas that you're not from because you don't really know on the ground what's going on there or what's happening like they already might be doing really great things one of the things that's really sprung out to me from from this research that that you've been doing is this idea that as we know like well if it doesn't happen in london it doesn't happen the idea that maybe the whole movements and everything are controlled from the big cities london being the primary one um, and then that just gets cascaded down in what the priorities are in other areas. So actually what might be really nice is if some of these areas where there are more bisexuals, if they start really honing it themselves and figuring out, you know what, this works, this works. And actually these smaller areas can teach the bigger cities like this is how we've done it. I guess it's about actioning that on the ground learning where you've got more bisexuals in an area to really figure out you know what, this is what we should be doing. And actually, that not me sat here in London being like, well, this is what these small areas need to do. Actually, that the feedback loop is coming from them and they tell us what needs to be done is one. That's one. And then I think that we really need to take Bisexual Brunch on the road and go and do some live episodes from all these places and get those communities involved and cause a bit of a stir, maybe get a few bits in the local paper so that those areas really realise, oh my God, like, we're the bisexual capital of the country. What are we doing about it? 
and really inspire the changes we want to see. It's one of the problems, though, that, again, that, we, you know, we've got this little bit of research now, but there is no research, really, in the whole essence of what being bisexual is all about. So we've got these 8,000 people in Norwich. You know, are they going to be talked to now and found and chatted to about their experiences and what they go through, etc.? You know, it strikes me that these statistics have come out and there's not really a great deal focus on, on the B and what it means and that kind of thing. And, you know, we need to be asking more questions, don't we, Nikki? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the first thing that occurs to me is if you've got more than 8,000 people of a community in a small area, you should definitely be telling them about each other. So obviously not disclosing identities, I don't mean that, but you should be saying, oh, we've got this many people who are all the same. Well, I mean, it's all the same, I'm using, you know, you know, a broad gesture, but, you know, all, you've all got this in common. Wouldn't it be cool if you kind of knew where each other were, especially given what we always say about being bi, which is that you feel isolated because you don't know where the other people are at. I mean, like, if I was a venue owner, for example, thinking from a business point of view, I'd be immediately like, oh, my God, we need a bi night in this city. That's the first thing I would do. Or, like, a really cool, yeah, a really cool event in a pub or something. So that's the first thing that I would say. And then uh, building on what Lewis said, you know, 8,000 people is like a micro community. So in terms of thinking about how, how you target them, well, you should do. Ignoring 8,000 people who kind of like have this really one strong thing in common is just really silly in a place where you want to make connections and make people feel welcome and make people feel loved and all the rest of it. So I feel like the local council is probably missing a trick if they don't decide to put on a special buy event for some reason as a result of this research. Absolutely. But they're not necessarily going to listen to us, are they? Well, so? they might do. We, we, well, I, think... <laughs> I wonder if we have, like, do we reach out to the people at Buy Pride? Because they had it in London, didn't they? But maybe they should have it in Norway. Well, they should have it in all these places, well, I think, really. I was going to say, exactly. They should all have localised little mini events, shouldn't they, around the same time as yeah. the main Buy Pride. That's definitely what I would do if you want to build community. No, definitely. But the other thing is, um, I suppose, you know, anybody listening to this who who just doesn't know a great deal about the B and... They just maybe conflate LGBT, whatever, altogether. Um, I think we ought to just explain a bit more of this, if, if possible, about the, the things that are uniquely B, if you know what I mean. The things that, when it comes to research around uh, LGBT stuff or campaigning around LGBT stuff, the stuff that you know the Lesbian and Gay Foundation does or Stonewall does or whatever, you know, where are the gaps? Where are the issues in the sense of where they're not doing enough to sort of tackle and to sort of meet head on the issues that bisexual people might have because bisexuals have got very unique issues haven't they yeah i think so a couple of things that i would say is um isolation is a big one as we've kind of just spoken about there right so it's like not having other bisexual people around you to ask questions i find because if i that's kind of why i started ask a bi dad and why we do the whole ask a bisexual feature here it's because so many bi people have no other bi people to turn to and be like, is this normal? Is this is this right? Someone said this to me. They were straight, but I don't know. Are they right? Um, so the isolation is a big one. Bridging that is another one. I think dealing around the anxiety of so much of your life being dictated by the sex of your partner is something that we don't talk about enough because I know there is this stereotype, like, oh, bisexual people, you know, they're never happy. They'll just take off, blah, blah. I actually think the opposite is is true because I think that there are a lot of stats around bisexual people staying in relationships that aren't working sometimes. There's, there's stats around um, partner violence. That There's a lot of horrible stats there. And I actually think that there might be something in bisexuals that we, do, that we haven't really explored, which is around 
I would rather put up with this dodgy relationship than dare to be single again. Because if I'm single again, then what if I next time end up with a woman and then I've lost my queer identity and blah, blah. Or, you know, I want children. And what if I then end up with a guy? And, and all this kind of stuff that other bisexuals could help you through and be like, no, it's better. To, that's just part of our existence and our journey. That's not something to be feared about or something to say in a bad relationship for. I think there's something there. I think obviously the whole visibility aspect is big. Like we're always going to look like we're repping for the other teams. If you hold hands with your same sex partner walking down the street, people are going to be like, there's two gay guys. If you are Nikki walking down the street with your buggy and your, your husband, people are going to be like, oh, wonderful straight family. There's always going to be that issue of visibility and people asking in a relationship, how do I display my bisexuality? I think there's the, there's those issues. There's also stuff we've never looked into around um, same sex, sorry, around safe sex, which is are people more or less likely to use a condom with certain genders and other genders? We don't look at that. We don't talk about it because it's uniquely bisexual. And also pregnancy risk, because pregnancy risk doesn't really tend to happen to gay men. We don't look at it. But actually bisexual people, it would be interesting to know, like, are, the, are, they, are their attitudes a bit different? Um, on that so just a couple of things to kind of get us started with yeah yeah and i would add obviously the mental health stuff which builds up from the isolation stuff but we just we know how many people who are by have got mental health difficulties substance abuse issues substance abuse issues sometimes uh they just the mental health stuff is just you know all the all the research says that this that by people struggle and then physical health stuff like we always say you mentioned pregnancy stuff there anything to do with sexual health sti testing and I think the other thing I would say rolled into the mental health stuff is is confidence issues, which is basically what you're saying as well, isn't it? Self-esteem. And and I fully agree. There must be a link there between things like partner violence and staying in the wrong relationship too long because of that feeling of, well, I'm just too difficult to be matched with someone and this person accepts me, so I yeah. might as well stay in this relationship. I think that is a very yeah. real thing for a lot of bi people. Definitely, yeah. definitely. And the other thing is, I think, is, is just education, more education for um the authorities generally uh because although i think it's taken as red now that you know oh you're going to be asked about your sexuality or whatever it may be um it's, it's quite obvious and you've experienced this nikki um in certain circumstances whereby it might there be on the books for them to deal with but actually they're not really taking it seriously so i went to a sexual health no. clinic recently and it was assumed that um because i started talking about my partner it was assumed that I was gay. And I said, I'm bisexual. Oh, oh, they said, you know what I mean? You're like thinking, well, don't assume that for God's sake. You know what I mean? You need to ask these questions and find out a little bit more about the, the person. And, um, and I wasn't bothered. You know, I'm the, per the lady was, the nurse was fine, whatever. And she, you know, she, but, but she obviously hadn't got it in her head that, that the way I was initially presenting might not be the complete picture. Do you know what I mean? And that's frightening, that's isn't it really? That. In a way. Yeah. That is frightening. That's frightening because I've had that before as well at the sexual health clinic. Um, and I kind of went through, this is back when I was single, and I kind of went through, so, you know, I've slept with these many guys and this many girls since the last time. She And she literally looked at me like really confused and was like, so are you are we, are, like bisexual then? You know where it's like she couldn't even think of the right word. And I was like, you're running a sexual health clinic. And then just because of obviously who we are and what we do and I was like okay so you know as a bisexual like is there anything I should know like you've obviously got these leaflets for like the gay guys of like around their sexual health have you got one for bisexuals and she's like oh no but take the gay one anyway 
like the gay le- the the leaflet on gay sex. It was like you are in charge of our sexual health, and you don't even know what you're talking about. You know, you know what always strikes me when we look at these percentages or numbers of people who are buying communities and, and looking at this data is that three percent of a community that was a certain race, for example, would be substantial to a local council. There would be money mm. put in to support in their community centre, um, to support in maybe their religious festivals. Three to five percent of a, of an ethnic minority is considered a sizable number, and so we're yeah. looking at we're looking at the same kinds of numbers of bi people. But there is it's just like a community that doesn't matter almost. It's just so weird. Yeah, I suppose one of the mm. big difficulties though is, and I suppose one of the areas ways of getting around this, as we as we've said before, is to have bi nights and bi bars maybe and various things like that. But I suppose one of the big big issues really. In, in defence of the, the authorities in a way, uh, and us in some respects, because it's difficult for us too, is just the fact that the bisexuality is so hidden. You know, it's all right these people ticking this box on these at the census, but where are they? How do you find out yeah. who these people are? You know, it's quite it's quite difficult, isn't it, really? How you know, what do we do to Well not even just that, how do how do they identify yes. themselves? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and also, it's, it's well, so hard. Yeah. And it's this issue of self-disclosure, right? So if you're of a certain race, well, often people can tell that, can't they? So it's kind of like you don't get to disclose that someone else makes that decision anyway about you. So therefore, owning that identity is important to your welfare. But when you're bi, you can just slip through the net, can't you? Yeah. So I guess that's the main difference. Absolutely. Well, we've got a few things there on the list. <laughs> and I think at some point what we should do is <laughs> narrow that down and as bisexual brunch actually go out and, and maybe campaign on this and sort of make a manifesto, yeah, man- manifesto. Yeah. contact the local authorities and and say look this is what we want and and and, and yeah and specifically contact the lgbtq organizations who you know mm-hmm. i hate to say this but we will say it and we've said it many times haven't in the past been particularly good on these things and it's time for them to step up now we can see there are you know specifically quite a lot of places around the country that show you know, high, very high, you know, populations of bisexual people. Um, so we, we need to do that, don't we? Now, some of the um, reports and things that have been coming out in the last few days um, have, have shown sort of interesting things around bisexuals. Research done in America, research done, I think, here with regards to a, uh, a, a dating app. One bit of research, I think, in America was talking about uh, bisexual people are more likely to use cannabis, mental health issues, using cannabis, but also for enhancement and various things like that. Now, I always feel as though the research in America on bisexuality is a little bit more um, detailed because it feels to me as though there are more identifiable bisexual communities in certain parts of America. feels to me there's a bit more research done there on this. Um, but um, I don't know what either of you two think on that. But then the other the other thing that came out was from this um, organisation in the UK, the app in the, in the UK that looked at the issue of um, bisexual people dating... Uh, LGBT people. What tell us a bit about that, Lewis? Yes. Yeah, so this was from Hinge, and they basically found that bisexuals are less likely to go on same-sex dates than other LGBTQ people. This is an odd. This is a bit of an odd one for me because I don't know about you guys, but I looked at this and was like, well, of course, because if you have, if your sexuality allows you to be open to dating straight people and queer people. There are loads more queer people than there are LGBT people. So it just, to me, is always a numbers game. And like I've known like for years that it's about 82% of bisexual people are in opposite-sex relationships. And I've just, from all the different research over the years, it's always just kind of been like, 
it's a numbers game. It's just like it's it's like you know that whole bag of marbles thing. If I gave you a bag of marbles and you know fifty were blue and two were red, you're just more likely to pull out a, a, a blue. I don't know. Is that too simplifying it? I don't know. I think I think where this gets more complicated is thinking about gender as opposed to same sex. So if if you're mm. thinking with a slightly younger generation that doesn't really think about se- the sex at all, actually they don't really use that word to talk about. They just talk about people's gender all the time. Then, yeah. then gender identity is more complex, and there are more options. And surely that's just like kind of a completely different thing to focus on. I almost feel I'm not. I'm not saying that we should discard looking at same sex versus different sex, but I feel like maybe that's not where the data is headed, and maybe that's why these numbers seem a bit weird. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, I should probably mention here as well. Sorry, in their thing. It says that uh, about 21% of bisexual daters explained that they had never had a same-sex dating experience because of not being out to family and friends. Oh, so that was okay, what they that's put it, That was what they put it down to. Well, that's interesting if they're saying that's the main reason. Because when you think about dating on apps these days, do we think that people only date presuming that somebody will always know who they're dating? Because I don't think that's true at all. I mean, I think one of the great things about the invention of dating apps is being about the privacy that they afford you. You don't, Other people don't get to see who you're going out with or having sex with or meeting with unless you want to introduce them to other people. So in that, in that regard, they're basically implying that people tend to self-censor, you know, their real desires because eventually they think they'll have to introduce that person to someone. But I don't think that's true. I think you could probably definitely differentiate between short-term dating and long-term dating and people's preferences and behaviours in those categories. Everybody's experiences are different, aren't they? In the sense that my experience was the other way around, in the sense that I came, you know, I was involved in in gay-facing relationships early on and my straight-facing relationships came later. So my issue was the, always the issue of what's, how, do you, how, do you date, how do you date a woman? Most people think, well, that happens everywhere. It's just the norm, you know, people would think it, but actually it wasn't. It was difficult. It was hard. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So, um, and and I suppose, but I suppose for probably the majority, it's probably it is probably the way around. But what I'm saying is, it it just depends on your route, doesn't it? Your journey into this whole thing of discovering that you're bisexual, you know, and and mm. and actually the um, there are elements of the LGBT world which, because they have to be out loud and proud, aren't always or don't always feel necessarily always welcoming to certain elements, certain people who maybe have been in, you know, straight facing relationships for a long time and they go and go to a gay bar or whatever it, be, whatever it is and they're thinking, oh my God, what do I do here? You know, there's all these people dressed up and all the rest of it, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, there is a, there's an internalised, you know, homophobia, biphobia thing going on, isn't there? And that takes a lot of getting through, doesn't it? And there's nobody there to help you through that. So that's no, another that's another no. thing for our, our on our list of uh, things for people to tackle the whole thing of you know dating somebody of the the same sex if you've been by and in a straight relationship relationship for a long time. Go on, Nikki. I mean, the thing I was going to say is when I wrote my dating history book, one of the really interesting stats that stood out for me was that in the nineteen sixties, it was a crazy number. It was something like three quarters of all daters that picked up their date on a first date. Yeah. If that makes sense, picked them up from their parents' house. So in that situation, yeah, I remember this very... Because I just thought in the 60s, that seemed just so recent that that is a phenomenon, but it's true. Like, I think about my parents, you know, my mum, when she got married, she didn't live with my dad first. They got married and then she got a house with him kind of thing when she was his wife. 
you know, in the 70s in Wakefield, where we're from, you couldn't just cohabit with a partner. You had to be married. Like, I, I forget how recent cohabiting is. It's like a really new thing for couples, you know, of all genders. Um, but I thought I found that really interesting thinking, imagine the first time you're about to go out with a new person, you've got to meet their mum and dad first. How hideous, how hideous for that <laughs> as a dating setup. Uh, but to be fair, then I thought about it and I was like, that probably would have put me off 90% of my terrible ex-boyfriends because I would have just seen that the whole dynamic didn't work. It would have given me a good insight, actually. So maybe it's something to be said for picking people up from their parents' house. I guess one thing we should probably do, not to put us all on the spot, is um, if this is research to be, to be, you know, taken seriously, that bisexual people don't go on same-sex dates, what would each of you, if you had to give one tip for your first same-sex date, what would it be? Oh, that's a good Shall question. I go first? Well, I put you on... The, I would you go say, first. Yeah, so I would say enjoy it because I do remember being really young and going on that first same-sex date and just, like, all of these things in my mind, like, oh, my God, like, if someone sees me on this date, then that's <laughs> it, my my credibility or, like, not cr- like my reputation, like, that, that I had when I was 18, 19. Or just like, you know, if you kiss a guy, that's it. You'll be gay forever. It's like some sort of magic spell that seals it. Like, put all of those ridiculous thoughts out of your head and just enjoy it and just see the other person and just go where it takes you. Is It would probably be my thing. Like, because I just think if you are worried about going to your same-sex seat, you, it's just going to overshadow it, all of these thoughts and doubts in your head. Well, I think, it adds, I think it adds to the thrill of it because I remember going on a date with a girl <laughs> and thinking about how renegade I was and then, and then you know, like I had no idea what to wear and then buying her a drink and then realising that I was acting like a lad at school that I that would take me out towards her and finding that absolutely mind-blowing that I was acting like a terrible man and being sleazy <laughs> and being like, oh, when can I like put my arm around her and all this stuff. So I actually, <laughs> I would say the opposite to you. Well, I would say, yes, yeah. enjoy it. I was like, but enjoy, enjoy the... Uh, the novelty definitely enjoy the novelty, yeah, okay, fair, the novelty. Fair, fair. for me i think i Ash? would say having spoken now quite a lot quite a lot of uh bi men are in straight facing relationships in on this uh, on this show uh is just not to not to build up your hopes of anything happening that's going to be any any more long term than a few hours <laughs> because i think for most uh bisexual guys have been dating women they they know there's going to be some longevity in it in the sense that it's going to take a little bit of while to get to know the woman and all the rest of it with uh, a lot of um you know dating of of gay men it's over and done with in a few hours couple, 20 minutes later few minutes later yeah absolutely you know <laughs> they are just, just enjoy it while, exactly. while it lasts and it might not be very long <laughs> um what about the other way around though what about when it comes to dating? If you're if you're a if you're somebody who's a mainly gay facing relationships, and you end up coming coming to for for the first time in ages trying to date oh. date, date somebody of the opposite sex, what would you say is the thing to watch out for there, Lewis? I would definitely get myself <coughs> into trouble here, but I'm just going to say it because it happened to me, right? Because I was I was with a guy for two and a half years, and then went back to kind of dating men and women, and I had a rude awakening because I think those those gender stereotypes are alive and well. You as a man are expected to um, pay on the first date with a significant portion of women, not with all women, but with a significant portion. I think that there are then um, norms that are okay in in a, when you're in a same-sex relationship that then aren't, like how close are you to your female best friends? Like that might come up. 
even like little things like i remember being a good boyfriend when i was with my ex-boyfriend was like if he was drunk on a night bus and was like i'm on my way back my idea of being a good boyfriend was like waiting till he got back before i started the film but then if you're dating a woman it's like no you better go out and wait at that bus stop and walk her back so that, that like all of these things that we try and pretend aren't things like they are you will notice them more and because you've had an experience where it was equal on that gender role you will notice them more. You'll probably fall into more pitfalls because for straight people, it's just a given that you probably were like, oh, well, isn't that silly old-fashioned concepts? It's like, well, tough shit, you're going to do it anyway. I could not agree more. When I went from dating an ex-girlfriend to then dating men again, I was like, woohoo, I don't have to pay for you to go on holiday anymore. Like, you're not going to nick my knickers <laughs> or my boots, that my favourite boots that you think look better on you. And, uh, you know, I'm going to get taken out. And, and also, I don't have to initiate sex. Like, these guys are just all so up for it. And I can just forget about that for a few weeks. So I enjoyed being <laughs> able to just sit back. <laughs> sit back and take advantage of that female Love privilege. That. Fabulous, fabulous. Well, all that's great. Fantastic stuff. Um, and uh, if people have got anything they want to, you know, listening to our experiences there, if you've got any particular stories that you've got of, of dating the different genders and particularly funny stories. It'd be nice to hear some funny stories. Uh, we'd love to hear from you here on uh, on Bisexual Brunch. Now then, a new book is out called Bisexual Men Do Exist. It's written by Vanit Mehta, a bisexual campaigner and uh, also author, writer, uh, activist, I suppose. Um, and Vanit was actually uh, one of our first guests on Bisexual Brunch when we launched a few years ago. Um, now, we're going to be hearing from Vinny about his new book on the next edition of Bisexual Brunch. But let's have a little bit of a chat about it now, if we can. Vinny has gone on this thing of bisexual men do exist. And I think he created a hashtag uh, to that uh, effect and, and has um, done quite well with it. Um, but it's quite important, actually, that he's bringing out this book at this particular moment, I think. Because what came out of the from these statistics to me was that usual trope that more women are bisexual than men and that the bisexual male mm -hmm. figure is quite small uh, and now that that in our experience as a program doing this program for the last three years it hasn't it hasn't been that really we've had a lot more responses in a way from bisexual men which tells me there's a hidden bisexual male yeah. community out there so what I'm, i suppose what i'm trying to say is we're going to have this constant thing, aren't we? And it's going to carry on if we're not careful. This whole thing of, it, oh, oh, yeah, bisexual women exist. And there's there's this research that says bi women, you know, um, have, have, there's been a tendency for women to be bisexual for years. And there's, there's there's scientific research into it and all the rest of it. We need to battle against that, don't we? Let's start with Nikki. What do you think, Nikki, on that one? Yeah, fully. I mean, it's it's so pernicious and it's so damaging for so many reasons. I mean, there's obviously this thing of women's sexuality being seen as kind of entertainment by culture at large. So that's why we always want to know who women date. And I actually think women are probably more forthcoming about their sexuality. There's, because it's seen as like entertainment or it's enticing or it's kind of sexy or it's fun to know that fact about them, they can be more open, but they're obviously kind of, you know, stereotyped and objectified more as a result of that. Conversely, for men, men feel more threatened by revealing that information. They're, they're probably, I don't know, it'd be really interesting to find this out, are they more at risk of certain kinds of violence or harassment for outing themselves as bi? I'd be really, really interested to find that out because my gut feeling says that they might be. Uh, I, I definitely think online and I definitely <clears throat> think physical violence is probably a greater threat if you are a guy coming out as bi in certain places. And like we say, Ash, every week we get letters and emails from men who are bi 
often often in the closet, often not, but there's just so many more of them. And, you know, it doesn't make sense that there's more men that listen to our podcast than women, does it, for any reason, like, given the spread of us. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think what was quite dangerous about the reporting of the stats was that it seemed like a really easy assumption for people to make. There are just more by women. And I made a point when I reported it on social media of saying, this is the one thing you should take away. If you don't take away anything else from this research, um, this isn't true. This just isn't true. You just can't see the by men that are out there. Absolutely. Lewis? Yeah, I, th- I think it's uh, I think it's two things for, <clears throat> for me on the numbers. I think one is that I think women tend to just maybe be a bit more reflectionary and kind of understand their sexuality a little bit more. Whereas I think you get so many bi guys that would never dream of saying the word bisexual, but they have like, you know, had oral sex or full on sex with with multiple men. But they just kind of think it's like, oh, it's banter, you know, or you know where you think of the Kinsey scale. I would say, so say if like, I hate the percentages, but just for argument's sake to kind of demonstrate this, if a woman was 70% attracted to men mainly, and then 30% were, was sort of women, I feel like that would be enough for her to kind of say I'm bisexual. Whereas I think if it was a man, he would really need to kind of be at least 50-50 to kind of say I'm bisexual. So that's the first thing I think it's about internally with men looking at it and actually noticing it and not trying to just pass it off as, oh, it's just when I'm drunk, just fiddling about with my mates, all right? And I think the other thing is the really big thing is that kind of, you know, the opposite of with by women, right? It's like, I think there are certain, you know, there's men in culture that want women to be bisexual because it leads to their fantasies. So it's like, this is great. Whereas sort of the opposite is true for for by men. We have that statistic, only around 19% of women would date a bisexual man and the similar, it's different study, found 19% again, when they asked the question a different way, only 19% of women would date a man, even if he says he's straight, who has had sex with another man. So very low statistics. And as someone has, actually a couple of people have said it to me over the years, if I come out as bi, am I not really just coming out as gay by default? Because there's only about 10% of the women out there that would even consider dating me anyway. And then if I come out as bi, and that reduces further to a 19% of that 10%, that's like hardly anyone. Um, so I, I think that there are, there's also that we've got to tackle bisexual men being secretly gay that seems to put off women or that they can't be trusted. So there's a, it's like a multifaceted situation, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting, and we are going to do an interview on this at some point, actually, with a researcher who's done quite a lot of um, research into just men and their habits, sexual habits overall. I think it's the evolution thing on this in terms of how things might be changing and that certain men at certain ends of the spectrum who might be more inclined at some point to maybe have be bi-curious or whatever may be pushed more into having relationships with men just because the climate with women is changing or has altered and the way women see themselves has changed. You know what I mean? And and he, he's, he, he, when we eventually speak to him, his theory is that things are changing and that men are probably, there probably is going to be more potential for more bisexual men in the future. But I think one of the other arguments is that that's happened already with women in the sense, the way in which men and women and the differences between men and women and the their roles in society and the way women have reacted to the patriarchy and how men men are and and whatever it means that women have actually had an affinity that has enabled them to get closer in terms of their sexuality as well. I mean, I don't know whether there's any truth in this, but there there does seem to be some you know talk of there be some evolutionary things at play here, Nikki. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think we've got to be careful with, with the word evolutionary, but I like, I will, I, I like the idea. This sounds really weird. I don't like the idea. I'm intrigued by the idea of a kind of buy incel movement where actually, isn't that the solution to all the incels anyway? Can't we, can't we sort out which ones are buy, move them along, get them happy, <laughs> put the numbers down? I think, I, you know what? That's the best idea I've had all week. I'm going to have to tweet about this and see what other people think. Buy incels. Like, like why, why, be, why be an incel when you can be a buy incel? Actually, you wouldn't be an incel anymore. That's the whole point. <laughs> why be an incel when you top... can be inside somebody? I don't know what. I'll have to come up with a better catchphrase, but yeah. <laughs> All eyes on Nikki's Twitter <laughs> after this. Um, one thing as well, I think that probably is worth mentioning, and I have not done a lot of thinking on this, so I'm thinking out loud, is I think that there is something to do with men and status. Like a lot of the psychologists will say men are status-driven creatures by and large. And if you feel like being attracted to men is going to in some way damage your status, then is that something that then we have to deal with as the wider society of seeing... Because, you know, gay men have come a long way since, you know, even like the 90s or the 80s. So I would see it as very different. But, you know, the further removed you are from your little bubble of LGBT stuff, is it still seen as, oh, well, if you're a man that's attracted to men, that's still a bit lower status. And especially, you know, with men, it's like, well, the more women I've slept with, the more, the more man I am, the more status that is, the more notches on my bedpost, to then discredit that with oh well there's also some notches for men as well i don't know i think there it would be interesting to get a psychologist on that's looked into kind of male status and how they view the world and how, what role by actions would would play in that i think i think you are right on the money with this and and you know what this is reminding me of an ex of mine who always said that he wasn't interested in men but had slept with quite a lot of them and I just used to get really annoyed about yeah. why he just discarded this part of his identity, which was short-sighted on my part. It was many years ago and probably I took the piss out of him and it wasn't help- It wasn't going to help him come out in any way, shape or form. He was also very conservative, like politically conservative. So I always felt that because of his political views, that affected how, what he would come out as. Does that make sense? And, and, mm. But one time before we split up, I found out that he had a book of all his, that he'd written all his conquests in. Every single person that he'd slept with like a kind of detailed assessment of, you know, what had gone down and if they were good and if he'd do it again with them. Mainly they were women, so it was, like, very misogynistic and, you know, some people was, like, really revelrous about because he'd literally just spent 10 minutes with them, like, as as men get about women, you know. If you then spend 10 more dates with them, you tend to discard them or whatever. Anyway, he'd written a little introduction to the book about, you know, it's like a, a record of everybody's ever slept with. But there were two groups of people that he left out. One was sex workers, because I knew that he had a thing for sex workers and I'd paid a lot to have sex, which is absolutely fine. Obviously, where I come from, because I've been a sex worker. But I found it really annoying that he thought they were not worthy of including in the record. And the other was men. Even though I knew there were all these men, he didn't have written about any of the men. And I was like, wow, you've literally just eradicated a sizable parts of your own sexual history from yourself. And this was a totally private thing that I should never have read or seen and shouldn't be talking about now, but we don't know who he is, so it's all fine. But um, yeah. the point being that there were that many layers of, of self-deception involved in that. Do you know what I mean? I think you're completely yeah. bang on the money with that, Lewis. I totally agree with that. And how did you come out in this, Nikki? Well, I wasn't in, was I? <laughs> you were You were the current one. There was, I was ah, the current, okay. so he was obviously waiting for us to end and then I would have been able to read right, about myself. Okay. I'm kind of glad I didn't read about myself because I just don't really want to know. You who, should who do a freedom of information request. <laughs> to him. 
I mean, there'll be like 100 more people <laughs> since me knowing him, but Fabulous. yeah. Well, well, some interesting interesting stuff there. Uh, but just going back to what I said right at the very beginning, I just t- we touched on very briefly about these statistics that came out in America around uh, people using can- bisexual people using cannabis and the fact that there's more bi, bi people doing that. And it seems that the, the, the statistics in America, they seem to get more detailed statistics around people being bi because there seem to be more identifiable bi communities there. Um, I, I, do, you think I'm, do you think I'm right in saying that? Yeah, I do. And this is very eminent research. It's from Washington State University. We're not talking no. about some some unknown institution or anything that's sponsored by business. I mean, th- this is this is very solid research from a, an eminent academic institution. Yeah, yeah. And I've not read the whole report really. But what's what what's the reasoning behind it? Why would why would bi people be more likely than gay people to take up this route? Because. Well, according to the research, and one of the researchers, Carl Schofield, who's who's been part of it, it's because um, bisexual people are more likely to report using cannabis to to cope with life in general, as well as for sexual enhancement. So where is the presumption with, you know, gay people having sex is the kind of chemsex idea of like, you'd get high because it would feel good and therefore, you know, it would enhance the experience. This is because life is stressful and maybe you are assaulted in your identity or your identity is conflicting. And so it's kind of got like a multi-pronged right, use. Okay. No, it's a, it's an odd one. I don't really know what I think of it. I'm doing a lot of on the cusp, like thinking out loud today. I kind of feel. I know this is a bit of an odd one, but I kind of feel it's a like slightly bi culture. Like, I, I mean, I haven't smoked weed, but like, I like I can see like you know it's like kind of in that space of like, you know, I always think there's this massive thing between bi and being interested in sci-fi and comic cons, and I feel like weed kind of fits in there with like maybe it's just the go-to, like you kind of say like. You speak to gay men and there is like chemsex and stuff that goes on. It just tends to accumulate a bit more in that community. But we do know from different research as well that there are, there's loads of stuff on, you know, bisexuals struggling with addiction. You know, that we're, we're more likely to get addicted to certain substances. Um, and who knows, like maybe it is tricky. Maybe people do just feel like, oh, I just need something to just take the edge off because this is quite heavy stuff. Um, but I am, I would be, you know, it's, I'm, I'm slightly surprised that it would be bisexual. Lots of identities have tricky things going on. Like trans people have tricky things going on. I don't know that their substance abuse issues are, are any higher, which makes me think, is it more, is it more to do with the culture of like, that's just like, for some reason, however cultures get started, that it just is leaning more towards that? I don't know. That, I think that's really interesting because I'm thinking about when I lived in America, California, obviously, was a massive weed smoking culture because it was medical marijuana was legal at the time I was there. And now, obviously, it's legal to smoke to smoke yeah. cannabis and lots of other states in America. So I think any any country for a start where you have legalized or like medicalized use is going to increase usage to some extent um, or increase people's willingness to confess that they've used. Perhaps is a better way of putting it. Um, I don't actually know if it's true that if you if you have more legalized use of cannabis, people smoke more. I don't know if that's true. Um, but the, but it's also a social acceptability thing because I found in California it was way more acceptable to share a bong with a friend than to get really drunk. And, um, you know, it's like certain drugs are just more acceptable in certain countries, aren't they? And I think, again, mm. about the chemsex thing, that, y- you know, kind of like party drugs like uppers are more prevalent amongst the gay community. Whereas I do think there's something in your theory about bi people smoking more weed. I'm not a weed smoker because yeah. it's made me very paranoid when I've had it. But 
this is really interesting to me. I'd love to, many people can email in anonymously and be like, yeah, there's definitely a correlation. Well, this is, this is the kind of reason. Yeah, I do think there's a massive, I think it's hard for us. There's not a massive weed smoking culture. Well, there probably is, but I'm no, just I'm not part of Not really in London, though. In London. I don't really feel like And it's illegal to here. So it's, it's, it's yeah. I, I just don't think we're exposed to it enough to really be in it, to really no. understand yeah. it. Well, the fourth, no. the fourth floor agree. of my building. What's the weed smoking culture like in Manchester? Well, the fourth floor, the fourth floor <laughs> of this building is, <laughs> is very weed smoky. Whenever I walk back, walk, walk through it, it's, Smells of weed all the time, so maybe I should go up there and ask, ask, ask them. I feel like Yorkshire yeah. is... I feel like the North is in general, Ash, What's don't you reckon? Like, I feel like, because Northerners are quite cheap, they don't want to pay for <laughs> things like cocaine. Although, yeah. although coke use is on the rise in places like Leeds, like, I do know yeah. that's true. I mean, the thing, the, the, but, the, I thing, the thing is, once we get to grips with these bi statistics and find out where all these bi people live, we can start having these conversations like they're having in America, can't we? But yeah, no, absolutely. Right, so lots to come still. We've got a, a, a an Iranian asylum seeker turned British citizen who found his bisexuality in the northwest of England. And uh, we've got our, um, of course, our uh, ask a bisexual question, which is all about age gap love. But before all of that, I want um, Lewis, Nikki, uh, to have a listen to another bisexual journey story, which is... Uh, only come to us in the last sort of uh, 12, 15 hours, really, um, from a lady who is very much uh, in the process, as we speak, of discovering her bisexuality. We'll be hearing about that in just a few moments' time. Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. So another bisexual journey story on Bisexual Brunch. And we're joined by Anna, 41, soon to be 42, who's based uh, in Hove on the south coast of England, which is basically, that's East Sussex, if I remember rightly. Is that right? East Sussex? That's yeah, right, absolutely. yeah. Um, and you've got a sort of, you contacted us literally within the last 24 hours about a sort of a bisexual journey story, which is which is current, which is actually happening as we speak. <laughs> and there's various yeah, things absolutely. that have played out to make this happen. So I suppose rather than me sort of asking you loads of banal questions about where did things begin, blah, 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 blah. If we're, we're, in, we're in the mix to this. So tell us, tell us what's happening in your world at the moment, Anna. Well, um, so, I mean, I'm just sort of coming out as bisexual, like right now. Um, as a result of your podcast, which um, I found because of Heartstopper, and you've been talking about Heartstopper recently on the podcast, I have a kid who was really into it and has read the comics, and they kept telling me to watch it, and I didn't really get around to it because I'm, you know, I'm not really watching teen dramas very often these days. I don't have time to watch a lot of telly, um, but I had a free moment and I watched the first episode and I was absolutely hooked. And as I went through, I realized, just like you said, that it's actually a bisexual story. It's not a gay story. Um, I mean, there's loads of different queer people involved in the whole show, but it is kind of the main theme is the bisexual coming out story of Nick, the lead, one of the lead characters. I didn't, I really wasn't aware of what was going on as I was watching it, but then I came to the end of it and I was like, I just, I, I realized that it was affecting me on the level because I have always known that I'm bisexual, but I've never 
really talked about it except to a couple of people and I've sort of suppressed it most of my life. And I found myself watching it again <laughs> from like 11 p.m. to 3 a.m. Um, I mean, it's a good show, but it, it, it was beyond that. And just like hearing at the end where Nick says, I'm definitely bisexual. And I just thought, oh, my God, those words. I would I would love to be able to say those words. And then I was, you know, just sort of Googling the cast members of Heartstopper, seeing other things related to the show. Um, I came across the um, Kit Connor queer baiting controversy, which is just horrible. <laughs> and... Um, and, I, you know, I was thinking about bisexuality and my own bisexuality. I was kind of thinking I should listen to a podcast about bisexuality because I don't know really or talk to anyone who is bisexual. I, I just thought I should, you know, I should learn more about it. And I just happened to type Kit Connor into my podcast search engine and your podcast came up. And then, yeah, I was just um, kind of hooked and then the other thing that happened was I listened to your episode about uh, the term bi-curious. That one just kind of really cinched it for me because bi-curious is a term I learned ages ago. And I always, I always felt really bad about it. Like I didn't want to be bi-curious. And I'd never had, I've, I knew that I was bisexual somewhere, but I, I felt inauthentic because I'd never actually had a relationship with a woman. And so... I I felt like bi-curious was, was probably what real bisexuals would roll their eyes and say about me. Um, so whenever I started thinking, yeah, I'm bisexual and I should live as a bisexual, I would think, oh, no, 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 because people are just going to think you're bi-curious, you're a tourist, you're not really, you're not authentic. Um, but then hearing your episode where, you know, you were all saying, well, by curiosity can't be a bad thing. It can't be a bad thing for people to explore this part of themselves. I was like, well, thank God. <laughs> thank God. Wow. I, I can be a bisexual. I can be, you know, I, I don't need to have the card um, in my wallet, that the ID card that proves that I'm a bisexual. I can just be a bisexual because I know I am bisexual. So, so it feels to me as though... I mean, you, there are several key people in your life who know about you, your bisexuality. Uh, quite very important people. Yes. Your partner and your one of your yeah. ch children, etc. But it feels to me that you needed something extra. You needed to be able to have some kind of proper identity. It feels to me that you you needed that to sort of because it's all right these people knowing and it's been, it's fairly secret and whatever. But but you don't go around do you with a big B on your head or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? No. So for you, it feels that this has been quite an awakening in a way. Absolutely. And I feel like I just want the freedom to be able to admit to myself that I'm attracted to women. Like it's it's allowed me to to see that. Whereas in other situations, like, you know, some attractive woman would smile at me and I'd be like, oh, that's that's that person has a nice face. But now now that I'm accepting that I'm bisexual, I'm like, oh, no, actually, I am attracted to that person. That is a feeling of attraction. Um, and that is what I've been denying myself all these years. And also, it's just nice to be able to say to my boyfriend, she's hot. <laughs> Whereas before, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. And I want to be honest with my kids. I want them to be able to be honest about themselves. And I want to be able to, like, 
drop it into conversation with friends if I feel like it instead of not talking about it. Um, there was a, a, an, a time a couple of years back where I was just talking to a friend, not a really close friend, but a friend about I had this strong crush on a woman at our gym and I was talking about her and rhapsodizing about her. And this friend said, oh, it sounds like you've got a bit of a girl crush, haven't you? And I was like, yeah, I guess I do have a girl crush. But I wanted to say, no, I just have a crush. And I couldn't. But I want to be able to do that. So in your relationship with your partner, who it sounds like you've got a really good relationship with, 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 with him, and you've been open about being bisexual, and there's never been any issues with that? He's never had a problem with it or anything no, like that? No, 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 he hasn't. I mean, I've only sort of, it took me a long time to get up the courage to tell him, um, but not because I was afraid he would have a problem with it, just because, yeah. It just, also, the other problem I had with admitting I was bisexual is just not wanting to feel like, you know, look at me, <laughs> I'm I'm interesting, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so he did know about it, but I didn't talk about it or bring it up very much. But yeah, no, he's perfectly fine with it. He has no And is he completely straight or? Yeah. 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 And you told your, we'll talk in a minute about your older child in a second, because you were, you were contemplating telling the older child, but let's, let's talk about the, so the younger one, the younger one was the one that alerted you to Heartstopper, were they? Is that right? Is that where it came yes, from? Yes, yeah. So just tell us a bit about yeah, your relationship younger, with them then, and how that all came out. Yeah, okay, well, um, my younger kid came out as non-binary a year or two ago, and is, like, big into LGBTQ anything, wears pride pins, I took them to Pride, their first Brighton Pride last year. And it was actually there that we were looking at, there were many people selling badges with the various identity flags. And I got up the courage to buy myself a little bisexual one. And they said, they said, Mom, are you bisexual? And I was like, yeah, I am. And they were so pleased. They said, I've, I always knew, I always knew you were, you were, you know, one of us, basically. Um... And but then I didn't tell my older one because it just didn't didn't come up. Um, and actually, I told you last night that I was going to tell my older one last night. I didn't, but I I did this morning um, by a text, <laughs> like a coward. <laughs> but we do often uh, talk by. It's text. the modern actually, way. It's I the thought, modern way. <laughs> it's the modern way. And also, I thought with with someone who's probably going to be mortified to learn such information about her mother. It's the better way because she can just react to it in her own space without having to look at me. What was the reaction? None. Absolutely no reaction. (laughs) (laughs) I got no response. (laughs) Is that good or bad? (laughs) I think it's fine. I I mean, I think that's the way she rolls, really. Anything serious, she's just sort of like, please don't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to talk about this. It'll probably over time she'll probably reveal her her thoughts yeah. on the process. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. fantastic. So yeah, it, it's it's interesting where you live is interesting as well because 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 the the stats have just come out around um, sexuality around the country and I can't remember mm-hmm. exact figures. Brighton and Hove are together, aren't they? As a local authority, is that right? Yes. So yeah. Bright, Brighton has a big population, big gay population, but it also has quite a big yeah. bisexual population. Uh, it's not one of the places in the country where bisexuality is higher than being gay, but it is quite, I think it's number 
it's number three or four in the list of the most numbers of bisexual people in the in, in the country. So that's so that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So there is actually a bisexual sort of fraternity there. The the difference is, of course, is that bisexual people are all hidden. So you're all, there's loads of you there, but nobody, none of you will know who each other is. <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah, I mean, I could know loads of bisexual people other than the one I know who I know is bisexual. Yeah. Everybody could be bisexual exactly. as far as exactly. I know, even though they're all in heterosexual couples. Exactly. So at some we were talking today on the show, actually, about the fact that there needs to be more effort made to try and reach out to bisexual people, particularly in the areas where the, we know there's now a reasonable prevalence. Uh, because mm-hmm. people can help each other in terms of their feelings, in terms of their just the thought processes generally breaking down some of these myths that exist about what being bisexual means. Because, you know, yeah. as you know, you're probably aware of this, but there are loads of myths that exist around, you know, what bisexual people are like or not like. You know, the, the view that everyone who's bisexual is just literally out for anybody and everything all the time and all the yeah, rest of it. ravenous. Yeah, and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, you know, which is nonsense, obviously, you know, but... Um, but that's the 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 the, the, the sort of myths that, that exist. So no, that's really that's really good. So so, um, yeah. I mean, thank you for writing to us. That was really it's really nice to hear. What you and and you're not the the only person. There's loads of people who contact us regularly in different parts of the world. In fact, who for I mean, yours is slightly different because you'd at least heard the word by curious. But there's some people who write to us who literally um, they're hearing the word bisexual for the very first time. And they've never heard it before, and they realise that that defines them. And it's yeah. quite weird, isn't it, that we've got to 2023. And even in a country like the UK, where, you know, there are more people who are open about, about being bisexual, but you and I know, having looked at your own situation, there must be lots more people out there who are struggling with this, mustn't there? You know, um, it's quite scary, isn't it, in a way, that, that's, that we're in that Ooh. situation, don't you think? I know, and it seems so strange that in this, you know, in 2023, when there's been so much progress made in LGBTQ issues and we've got gay marriage, but still bisexuality is just sort of, yeah, it's not, it's not talked about. It's not, it's like it's not there. Yeah, yeah. It seems almost harder to come out as bisexual than it would be as a, as a, a lesbian yeah no i think it is i think it is i think it is harder and i think the other issue is that people uh, the problem for bi people is we're always defined by whoever we're with so you know you now embracing your bisexuality and wanting to be open about it and talk about a little bit um there will be still a lot of people out there who will still define you by the fact that you're with a guy you've got two kids they'll automatically automatically think you must be completely 100 straight um, not that it, it takes anything away from your relationship as it stands or anything like that, but it is part of your identity, isn't it? That's the point. It's about your o- overall identity. And that matters, doesn't yeah. it? You know what I mean? It does. And, it, and it's not just about sex, is it? It's about it, it's about emotions. It's about feelings. It's about understanding other people and how other people tick and, and all that kind of thing. So what about your experiences of, of when you, in the past, have you did you spend much time going out to... Um, gay bars and things like that did you ever meet many many women along the way almost never i mean i uh i went to gay bars with my gay friends when i was in my teens and early 20s and there was a lesbian bar i went to um just because it was friends you know who ran it who were in my friend circle but yeah i was just sort of the like the this the straight 
wing person really I was the I was the ally or I was just there because it was a bar and it wasn't really particularly lesbian so yeah no I've I've never really been on the scene if you will do you think that'll change now well I mean no because I don't have any free time um, <laughs> and also yeah I mean I don't I can't imagine taking my boyfriend particularly to gay bars we don't we just don't go out i'm just very boring i'm i'm you know i've got two young kids i don't i don't yeah, go out but god knows maybe later on yeah i i don't it's not really going to make a material no, difference no no and you're not bothered to my life, you, you, i don't you, think in terms of the actual the practicalities of it it's not going to change your relationship you're in a monogamous relationship i presume yeah you're not bothered about going out and meeting women and having encounters no. and that kind of thing but it's just important no. to acknowledge it completely that actually you can sit there, watch the TV or whatever, and fancy other women and things like that at the same time. And, you know, it's, it's, it's there. Fantastic. And also, obviously, with the situation with your children, I mean, that's really important, isn't it? Because now that that, that uh, child's got an ally in their, in one of their parents and who understands it absolutely. fully, which is really good. Um, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So where's your, where's your bisexual pin jab badge then? You should be wearing it now. <laughs> I should be. I should be. I actually, yeah. I don't. I've got loads of pin badges here, but no, I don't have a bisexual pin badge myself. All right. I thought you. I thought you said you got one. You managed to get one at the. Um... Well, act, actually, I do have. There is one up here. I, I actually work in a shop, and I made some pride pin badges, some sort of gender pronoun ones, and there is, there is a bisexual one that I made and designed, and yeah, I could wear that now. <laughs> You know, it's it's purple's the the the, the color, isn't it, for for bisexual people? And what what do you make of? I mean, you're you're in a situation with a with a with a child that's come out as as non-binary, and there's a lot of talk about non-binary at the minute, and, and there's a lot of confusion, isn't there? Over, I think people are fairly confused about the the gender and sexuality thing. I think people I don't think people get that sometimes. Has that become mm. a, an issue at all for your child or for you generally in terms of trying to understand what's going on? Do people? You know, I, I just wonder sometimes in the media media coverage of the non-binary thing that sometimes it's not really explained properly. Well, I mean, for my child, they, I mean, they definitely knew that they were non-binary. Um, I mean, the way it came up was we needed to fill out a, a gender, fo- you know, one of those gender forms at the dentist. Yeah. And there were only two tick boxes. Yeah. But I said to my kids, are you male, female or none of the above? And that was the moment that they said none of the above. And and we moved on from there. Um, I don't know what their sexuality is when they're ready to tell me about that. It'll be a totally different issue. Yeah, Yeah. but they are. But the point is, they are two different things. And I think the I think the media needs to be educating the fact they are two different things. And that's that's becomes a bit of an issue. Okay. Well, moving away from that, back to you, back to you and your bisexuality. So, (laughs) so something I often ask about in these in these um, interviews about uh, sexuality is when. Going all the way back, beyond all this issue with Heartstopper and then listening to Bisexual Brunch and your bi-curious side of things and all the rest of it, how, when do you think you realised, is there a moment you think you realised way, way back that actually you were bisexual? Does it go back a long way? It does go back a long way. But, I mean, I think growing up in a heterosexual world where, you know, I didn't know that gay people existed for a long time. I think it took a while for me to sort of... I think I was probably in my teens before I 
figured it out. But I don't remember any particular light bulb moment specifically. It was just sort of simmering under the surface because I was, you know, because I was attracted to boys at that time, it was easy for me to not think about it because it was like, oh, that's where I fit in. So that light bulb moment has come much later, much, much later in life. And absolutely. Yeah. It's been there. Fate, it's I mean, been a I've faint been, flicker I, for years and years and years. And now here it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been telling myself I'm bisexual for ages, but um, but but also doubting it at the yeah, same time. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but there's nowhere to turn to, like is there? There's feeling... nowhere to go to actually ask these questions and talk to people, which is which is why I suppose bisexual brunches serving we're serving a you know serving a purpose filling a gap in that sense so what do you Absolutely. now you've now you've got to that point you, you feel um in a way you know you've got that light bulb on you feel liberated and you you know you, you got excited about watching heart stopper several times and i went through the same thing because i thought it was brilliant um very rare mm-hmm. you see anything that represents bisexuality anywhere so it's really good um mm-hmm. what's the what's the special thing about getting to this point and realizing that you can acknowledge that you do find different genders attractive and that's not an issue what's the best thing about that well the best thing about it is just feeling honest like I feel I didn't realize that I was denying a part of myself all this time and if I did I didn't think it mattered I just thought well it's fine that I seem straight and that I act straight and everyone thinks I'm straight it's fine because I'm in a heterosexual relationship and nobody cares. <laughs> but but when I started feeling when I started feeling like I could be bisexual and and say that I'm bisexual, it just felt really liberating. You know, it's funny how being honest with yourself makes you feel better. Um, I think that's the gist of it. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I'm glad you got in touch with us. Thank you. Thank you for writing the letter. And good luck um, with the journey as it progresses. And do let us know what your uh, your other child says makes of it all at some point. <laughs> It'd be nice to know what they say. If, if she ever speaks <laughs> up, I will do. And thank you, thank you so much for doing the podcast. I'm so grateful to you guys. Thank you. And I and, and you know, hopefully people listening to this there'll be other people listening to this who've gone through exactly the same thing. I'm sure there are, you mm-hmm. know. Because it, it's um it's just something which like you just said there, you know, it'd be nice to be able to bring it up in conversation. It is still yeah. quite a difficult thing to bring up in conversation, isn't it? It's not like, yeah. you know, you might have a, I know, two or three girlfriends around for a coffee or whatever, um, and then you're talking about different things in, you know, you might be taking the kids somewhere or you're going on holiday or whatever. It's very difficult for you to chirp up and say, right, let's talk about bisexuality. <laughs> yeah. It's quite hard, isn't <laughs> well, it? Well, I mean, it's even hard to, you know, talk about a film and say, oh, she's really hot. By the way, I, I mean that in a truly bisexual way. yeah. 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 Not you know, yeah. but you'd be able to say that you'd be able to say that to your girlfriends if it was about a bloke, wouldn't you? Yes, absolutely. You know what I mean? So that's you know, it should you should be able to say it for for everybody. Absolutely, brilliant. Look, yeah, look, all baby steps. Look, yeah, absolutely. Well, you've done really well. Thank you very much, need uh, Anna. Good luck with it all, and, and keep in touch. Thank you. I will do. So then, Nikki, what do you make of Hannah's story? Oh, I think that's delightful. I, I feel honoured, first of all, that Anna would credit us with anything, <laughs> to be honest. Because it feels like she's done a lot of that herself. That's very much her journey and she's gone on it and she's kept being brave every time she's felt like, oh, maybe I'm letting myself down a bit. Actually, I don't want to be that. I want to be more of this. So I just, I just think it's really lovely to hear. It warms my cockles. And it, the thing is, those things we discuss, they really aren't discussed anywhere else, are they? 
So a debate about the word bicurious, no. you're not going to get on BBC One, ITV, on LBC or whatever. It's just not there, is it? Well, no, and a debate where we are trying to make people feel better about what they are, as opposed to feeling that, oh, it's a new identity that's going to irritate people in Ipswich. Sorry, Ipswich, I shouldn't say that, but you know. And you Ipswich, know, Ipswich is quite a bike people. place, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I shouldn't say that. It's like, it's a new, a new identity that's going to get people's backs up because why do they have to use yeah. that anyway? Why do they need another word? You know, because that's always the basically the kind of debate that we have about terms like this, as opposed to us saying, come on in, it's fine. Yeah, absolutely. So if we can do that through Bisexual Brunch as a podcast, which is, we're only around every every month, three hours every month or whatever it is that we, we go out, just think what could happen if there were real bi communities out there and bi bars and bi clubs yeah, and places where people I, could I, talk. I, think, I mean, hey, this is exactly what we started this podcast to do, right? So it's really great to see that the, the concept of the podcast is 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 working in reality for, for people out there and really being that place where if people don't have other bi people around them to answer their questions, at least they can listen to the three of us trying to work things out and kind of figure out that they vehemently disagree with us or that they absolutely 100% agree with what we've said or somewhere in between. And it helps people figure it out to just have these debates. Like we're never going to be able to, the three of us, get every bisexual to agree with everything. You know what I mean? But actually just by having the conversation, you kind of allow people to figure out what they where they stand on it, which is really nice. So thank God we're doing what we're doing. Thank God, you know, I'm so glad that Anna has like, been able to share her story with us and I think yeah let's just keep doing what we're doing and anyone that's listening to this that can help with you know creating a bi group in their local area or is working for an LGBT organization like look what happens when you just do a little bit of focusing on the B but we don't need we don't need like you know absolutely whole structural societal changes or anything really we just need a little bit of TLC and we can flourish I just think it's an example of, you know, real the, the real life in the sense of we're making a real a real difference as we, you know, make this show uh, every month, you know, we're, things we're saying are actually affecting people's lives and I think that's that's a, I mean it's a tremendous responsibility for all three of us. <laughs> but I think, you know, I think we are making a difference. So Anna, thank you very much indeed. Keep listening to the show and uh we'll regroup with you again at some point in the future and find out you've how you've got on with your newfound um, bisexual freedom, as it were. So still to come, Ask a Bisexual, and this time very much about age gap love. But in a moment's time, we're going to be on another bisexual journey story. This time is somebody who started his life in Iran and found his bisexuality in the northwest of England. That's next. Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. You're listening to the Bisexual Brunch Podcast. So I'm here with Parhan Gallander in his studio in uh, in Manchester. Parhan is... Uh, originally from Iran, uh, but has recently become a British citizen. Um, Pan is bisexual, and we're going to talk to him a little bit in a moment about um, his own bisexual journey and how he's come to where he is in terms of coming to terms with that. But before we do, I'm sat here in your studio, Pan, with some absolutely fabulous 
paintings on the walls, which I gather you're going to be exhibiting soon in one of the uh, local uh, venues here in, here in Manchester. Very colourful. Um, and I can see all your paints and everything. You obviously spent a lot of time doing this. Um, just tell us a little bit about your painting and the inspiration that where it's where it comes from yeah absolutely well thank you so much for having me um yeah these paintings of um big fluffy tents are going to be exhibited at home and the main gallery of home yeah uh, in manchester yes in manchester and um it's going to be a solo show for a solo show called painting and unending and um I think I've I've been painting tents a lot, and um, I've been painting a tent of different shapes and forms and um, colors of tents. But um, I think what they all have in common is that they all look very. They're, first of all, they're all in larger scale, and they are all in um, kind of a, kind of a very cinematic theme, painted yeah. in a very cinematic theme, as if they are backdrops. Yeah, um, I mean, just to explain to the listeners, yeah. we're talking about um, paintings here that cover most of the yeah. most of the wall. It's not yeah. small paintings; yeah, these are big yeah. paintings. Yeah, they're like two meter by two meter, two meter by three meter, something like that. The the whole um, idea of them started with going through paintings of Piero della Francesca, which is a 16th century, 17th century painter. Yeah, um, and um, he had a painting uh, called Constantine's Dream. And in 1970s, uh, Philip Gusson had a lecture about them, and he said these uh, paintings of Piero della Francesca, including the painting um, Constantine's Dream, they all looked as if they are paused. And I really loved that idea, and I couldn't help but to think, how could you unpause a painting? Uh, and I loved the, the whole point of it for me was, how, how would you promise continuity in painting? How would you promise... There could be change around the corner or something else around the corner, um, kind of unfreezing a painting. Um, so I started to paint these tents over and over and over and over as if there are frames of an animation or a storyboard or something similar to that. And then, and then they slowly start to look very cinematic and theatrical and very dramatic moments, very intense moments. And they're all titled, they all have humorous titles like low-budget backdrop for a <laughs> gay, for an Iranian gay socialist movie or something like that. I don't know. Do, do, they, do they exist, gay Iranian socialist I, I movies? I think so. <laughs> so they're all, as if these, are, that's the feeling I, I'm looking for, as if they're backdrops for a cancelled movie, you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Or as if they're... Although Iran does have quite a reputation for risque movies, doesn't it? <laughs> Bizarrely, there is a film uh, by uh, there's a film called um, Assault by Shahram Mukri, which is a very young, promising uh, filmmaker. And this film, Assault, is a uh, is is well, I describe it as a Iranian gay vampire movie. <laughs> um, so there are like people maybe hiddenly trying to reference these kind of cultures, um, but this kind of marginalized cultures, yeah. but trying to be smart with it and not, not be spotted maybe and get away with it. Yeah. Uh, the thing is for me that, you know, a tent is the perfect metaphor for me to paint and constantly paint and over and over and over because especially in the older days when there were circuses going around, yeah. the circus was always kind of a refuge for the misfits 
for people who didn't fit into the society, wanted to be on the move and um, you know, the circus was always full of well, what 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 was what was called misfits basically. And um and a tent, um, the, the, whether it's a tent of a, is a circus tent or any other tent, it's always a temporary shelter. It's always on the move, and it's always um, it's always has a promise of continuity in itself. Does this have a connection to you personally, Absolutely. in the sense of you've been an asylum yeah. seeker and yeah. you've been on the move? Yeah. Your sexuality, you've been hiding yeah. things. Is that what it is? That what it does? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think. I yeah. I think. Um, no matter what I paint about or how I paint, I think my past as an Iranian or my sexuality as being bisexual, generally my past is always shadowing my production. Right. Is always shadowing my paintings. And maybe maybe that's well. Where, when I first decided to paint this tent and paint and repaint Pilder Francesca's painting, I wasn't conscious of any of these things. There was just uh, the painting just provoked empathy and sympathy, and yeah. and I felt like oh, I really love that painting. I would love to repaint it. And da, 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 da. and then and then as I went along, I was like I was trying to decode why was I um, attracted to that specific painting and the metaphor of the tent and. Why that? What, what's happening in there? Um, and then I slowly drifted away and tried to, to try to make it my own and try to, you know, do my own thing with it. And I think it became the perfect metaphor for my past and who I am and also promise a continuity of what I could possibly become. So we've got we've got one over there that covers two bits of the wall. Yeah. So it goes right. It actually, yeah. it's on two sections of the wall. Yeah. That's very, you've got yellow, you've got blues. Yeah. Um, it looks as though it's in some kind of forest or something, yeah. am I right? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. W- where's that supposed to be? I think that's um, the lonely p- place that you will be pushed into when you are marginalized. Right, you know? okay. Okay. Um, that's why I, I, I kind of find it humorous and funny, but also very serious. Uh, these titles of like I don't know an Iranian uh, gay vampire movie because like <laughs> because like the vampire is the one that is always living in his cave because it's seen he's seen as different as as the um, as the antagonist you know yeah. um, and I all and I a lot of times felt like living in the Iranian society in Iran you know I felt like I'm antagonized I'm yeah. always the opposite i'm always you know as as if the society or the regime perhaps or maybe they don't there's there's a blurry line between the society and the regime but but i feel like i feel like the regime is always antagonizing me and always i'm always the opposite camp and that's how i was identifying myself you know so so i was always the vampire in that story i was right. always the antagonist of that story you know of that mega narrative and, and over here yeah. you've got another tent which is slightly different mm. it's purple it's got white mm. sort of uh doorway opening kind of thing yeah. very fluffy yeah seems quite different to yeah. that one over there yeah. anything what, what's special about that yeah, I was I was literally thinking of you know whenever there is the Gay Pride Month, you know, there are there are always like the, the festivals and always the well, purple of the, course is the bisexual colour. Uh, yeah, <laughs> there's always you know it's true. So there's always there's always you know there's always there are always tents and yes. temporary stations and you know mm, kiosks and things. Um, 
and and they're always like uh, fluffy. There's they're always tense, and I was thinking of how could I kind of portray the after party, like the party's over, but the tent is still there. Okay, you yeah, know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's that, that kind of sense. Yeah. I know, or maybe it's kind of a blue jazz after after the event kind of depression of it. But at the moment, you're the king of tents, aren't you? <laughs> king of tents. <laughs> Fabulous. Now here you've got all your paints and things, yeah. and it all looks very colourful. My dad's an artist, so I know a little bit about about yeah. it. You must spend hours yeah. putting this together, do you? These days I'm spending um, most of my time with writing or preparing or planning things. But um, but when I'm in the studio, I, I do spend a lot of time like... Um, just just going through images and going yeah. through um, drawings and photos and trying to come up with the right color palette and yeah. try to come up with the right combination. It does take a lot of time, but also because of a background in graffiti, because I was a graffiti writer back in Iran, right. I think as an after effect of that, aftermath of that, I paint very vigorously and very quickly, actually. So like when I'm in the studio, when I'm ready to set off, when I'm ready to go on the canvas yeah things happen very quickly, very quickly yeah. and is this your painting here is this one yeah is yeah a, that's, that's slightly different that's that's not a tent is it no no so that's that's like two looks like a sticks from a tree kind yeah of thing. is that right yeah what, what's yeah, that yeah. depicting yeah so i have a lot of paintings like that a series of paintings like that going for a duo show at castle for gallery in june in manchester uh, again. yes yeah. in manchester again and that is about the major theme in there I was I was uh, exploring exploring is that I was watching some lectures uh, on the semiotics of Persian mythology, uh, which were recorded at Stanford University, and um, because Iran was called Persia before it became Iran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people don't know that, so it's worth mentioning. Oh yeah, so so before the revolution of 1970, well, before before 19, no, it has nothing to do with the revolution actually. Yeah. It, in 1930s, 1932s, something around there. The Iranian monarchy changed the name of Persia to Iran, mm. um, so Iran, so it, it became a very kind of modernist, kind of modern country. Um, yeah, the Shah of Persia, didn't yeah, they? yeah. So in Persian mythology, so Dr. Bahram Beizai had these lectures, and he, if long story short, he was explaining that if you boil down the Persian, boil down the Persian mythology, you have these two elements of water and soil. And you put water and soil together and you have life. And out of life you have growth and out of growth you have wisdom. So in Persian mythology, there's always this antagonist arriving to separate the two elements. And there's always a protagonist arriving to make sure these two elements are intact. Um, but it's, it's obviously this idea is not just for Persian mythology. I mean, like, I was watching the, um, you know, th- there is a reason that these blockbuster fantasy movies tap into our unconscious mind and we like them you know i was um i was watching this new lord of the rings series uh, made by amazon and believe it or not the most popular episode is the i think it's the sixth episode in the series um and it's 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 a moment there's a moment that it shows the the evil the, the antagonists um uh, try to redirect the direction of the river and direct the river into the volcano to right. to activate the reactivate the volcano and evaporate the water and reactivate the volcano and and therefore they create the land of the evil 
so these these mythologies, you know, um, I, was, I was just thinking about all these mythologies and the repetitive story of climate crisis. Yes. Uh, even though this time in our age it's happening on a on a Big really step, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly and on a on a life threatening scale you know um, but yeah so I was in that painting and those series of paintings I was thinking about the relationship between mythology archetypes um, this and and all the old and modern stories of uh, climate crisis right 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 so just a just a Describe, describe that picture. So it's it's basically some um, roots yes. uh, trying to grow in different layers of the ground and trying to reach out for water and try to find uh, sources of water and try to su- survive. Basically, it's a story of resiliency and bravery and growth and wisdom. Um, but I think what all my works have in common, where all my works overlap, they're all desperate uh, kind of acts of storytelling in favor of life and existentialism and existing, you know. Mm, these, these are all stories of surviving. These are all stories of thriving despite the oppression and challenge and obstacles, basically. So, yeah, so all a bit of a metaphor for your life, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, let's take take us back. Um, you're now in the UK, um, having sought asylum and been granted it, yeah. uh, and now a British citizen. Yeah. Um, so you've been here about seven or eight years, roughly? Yeah, um, years, yeah. And you're 28, did you say? Yes. 28. Um, so you came here when you were 21. Roughly, yeah. So just tell us what it was like and... I don't think you really knew that you were... We'll get to that point. I don't think you really knew what your sexuality was at this yeah. point. But what was it like growing up as a, a teenager and a young adult? Yeah. Uh, exploring your sexuality or trying to or wondering where you were going with that kind of thing in Iran. Which part of yeah. Iran did you live in? I was uh, born and raised in Tehran, the capital. Yeah. And um, I was born in a kind of a working class middle class, somewhere in the middle kind of family. And, um, and you know, um, my family, ha- ha- like, had no idea, like, what is contemporary art. You know, to us, art was, like, Persian classic music and poetry or things yeah. like that, you know. Um, so I, I didn't really... I wasn't in, the, in any kind of social circle that would give me such an education yes. or give me the linguist tools to articulate what's happening or what, what are these feelings, right? Um, and obviously the education in the school doesn't give you that tools in Iran, obviously. Uh, it does the opposite. It oppresses you. If only does one thing, it's to make sure you wouldn't actually be able to articulate what's happening. So growing up in Iran was, uh, you know, I, I, I did have the feelings and emotions but I couldn't articulate them and and I didn't have anyone I could trust to bring up these things and ask for guidance you know your brothers and sisters um, I'd have a, a younger brother okay. who's educated here in UK and he's very confident with his sexuality and he's like he you know he has grown up in a very different way comparing to me and he's way more confident yeah. And his way, you know, he's basically having a better life comparing to me in his age. Well, what right about now. friends? What about friends at school? Because whatever the oppression is, yeah. 
guys in particular yeah. <laughs> at a certain age have urges, don't yeah. they? Yeah. Um, they, they slowly but surely become yeah. men, yeah. whatever sexuality it may yeah. be, and they experiment and yeah. do things. Yeah. And was there any sign of that at all? Boys around me, like when I was young, young, young men around me were... I'm sure everyone have a different story and yeah, a different experience, but people around me were making fun of these things or or it, it I really didn't trust anyone to bring these things up. Yeah. And because I I did have like a embarrassing moments that I did bring it up with a boy, with a young man in high school and 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 it was it was he made fun of it and mocked it and so I and then and then later on the embarrassment just scaled up and became sort of a fear. It turned into yeah, fear. I understand that. Know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now that happened to me in, in this country, you know. Yeah. So, you know, over time, you know, you have these particular yeah. moral tropes yeah. that go around and people yeah. think that, you know, things are, are fun and to be joked yeah. at and yeah. whatever. And really underneath it all, they're experiencing the same things, but yeah. it's a way of them yeah. Yeah. coping with it, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. what was your understanding? Because obviously Iran is a very conservative very authoritarian state etc did you know anything about what people thought of or was it ever did anybody ever discuss the area of people being gay or bi did you ever hear the word bisexual no, not at all I had, I had that's the thing you know i i literally didn't have the linguist tools to articulate and think about it and try to understand it and no i did not come across that word at all in, in back in iran and um and um so yeah no it didn't happen at all and i and i i do have now that i talk to people i do see that there are people who were in the right social circles and had conversations and um had a way better time but i think i i just it was the wrong class wrong family wrong place wrong you know everything was wrong about it um so it, it never happened you know why did you decide to seek asylum in the uk um, so well, basically, so that's a very interesting thing because um, if we just step a little bit back, I think all those frustrations um, were manifesting itself in me becoming a graffiti writer. You know, what is graffiti? Okay. What is what is going out there and um, you know being uh, and, and trying to you know cross the cross the red lines of the society and live a mark on the city? It, it, it is an act of you know it's it's a civilized form of violation you know yes, yeah. it's a it's a civilized form of violence and we would only do that because you, you feel like a misfit and you're trying to take revenge from the city you know uh, presumably that was frowned upon that was something yeah, they didn't want yeah. you to do did they did, did you get arrested for yeah, it yeah yeah i did get detained several times and that's what put me in trouble at the begin at, at, to begin with and i so i was in a very obvious kind of um, opposition with the regime, with the state, and and that got serious after a few times of detention, and, and there was no place for me in Iran, especially fearing that my sexuality, if my sexuality comes to light, yeah. you know, it, it would just, yeah. What happens to you when you get detained in Iran? Then, what, how does you know what's what's it like? Because the regime believes it's innocent, the regime believes it's their to act on behalf of the divine force yes. it's a it's an islamic religion religious state um because it believes it's innocent uh, there is no 
defense. There is no opportunity for defending yourself and reasoning. So they are right and you're wrong okay. at end of the conversation, period. Mm-hmm. So and it's 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 really dangerous to be right if the if such a regime is wrong. And what's the punishment then? Um for, for bisexuality it's No, no, it's, for, I'm talking about for for graf- oh, being, the, the graffiti. Oh it it's my my it, that was that, that was a real shock when I was first detained because when they uh reported my 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 crime when when they took me to the police station and they were like, okay, so write a report what you've done, mm. and I was like, I have no idea why I'm detained. Um, so and and I ask an officer to sit down and write why I'm detained. Um, they just put in whatever they liked. They wrote all sorts of things, including arsonism. And I was like, I I, I was like I, I I was in shock and disbelief when I was reading the report. I was like, "What fire? What are what are you talking about? Like, it's like it's like because they have this position of authority, and because they, because you're detained, and because you're in the position of you're the wrong, you're the rebel, you're the opposition. They just feel, feel free. They feel like they have the authority to draw whatever they like at you mm-hmm. uh, and see if it, it would stick. You know." Yeah. Um, it, it was a moment of shock and disbelief. So I had to ask them to edit it down and just, I, I started to cross things out from the report. I was like, no, no, this is not my report. I, this is not what I've done. This is a, it's, it was a, just a moment of shock and so disbelief. So you were detained in a, in a cell for, for a few nights, a few uh, days? Or? So I, what, what, was bas- what ha- basically happened? So the last time I was detained, yeah. it, it, got, yeah, it, it got very serious. And... I was detained for nine months. Yeah. Uh, like they can hold you however, how, how, how yeah, long yeah, yeah, they want, yeah. basically. Um, the first few, the first few times, uh, I, they were just. I just. I was below eighteen. I, I wasn't eighteen even in the legal age. So, so I just signed papers that I will not do this again. Da 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 da. Um, and they let me go. But but the last time I was re- I was detained. It, it, it got really bad and. Uh, and uh, I, I just had no. Um, after that, I had no place to stay in Iran. You know, I just, I just had to leave basically. What was that like? Nine months detained um, in prison. It I mean, what, what was soul crushing? Yeah, it's just not good. I don't were you there with other people, or were you solitary uh, no, confinement? It was. It was, uh, it was in. Uh, it was in a. What do we call it in English? The a, a solitary confinement. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, you were yeah. on your own basically yeah, yeah. for nine months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Grief. It's just. What? Well, how do you cope with that? You, you basically don't. You basically break down. That's that's what happens. That's the whole point of it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It's just, it just break you down, basically. It's just so bad. It's and you, did you get any time for good behavior or anything like that to come out early? Or? Um, no, what basically happened... the whole nine months. No, what happened was basically I had uh, free uh, kangaroo courts. Um, I don't know if that's the right term for no, it. No, it like, is. Yeah, we understand that. Yeah, and uh, fake courts, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mock courts. Yeah, yeah. and um, like illegal court that you yes. don't have the right to defend yourself. And then my um, my grandmother was very ill, and um, we um, so so my my family brought these documents to show that my grandma might die very soon. So I would get a 
break from detention to go see my grandma and yeah. that was my window to get out of iran basically did it work yeah yeah so i got okay. to turkey from turkey to thailand thailand to indonesia malaysia right. china and then here applying for asylum yeah and did you at that point because you were going through all those different countries so at that point was that were those journeys illegal in the sense of uh, no you were doing no, you did it legally not, yeah it was not legal it was uh yeah. it was um you just that was just a safe pass yeah. passage to get somewhere uh safe which my family was already here in the uk right, okay they'd come to the uh, uk but that must have been quite hairy as well the actual journey of getting here you wouldn't you're not the same person you were before yeah you just you just um shed some skin and you, you become a different person you would see the world differently yeah, then yeah so when you got to the UK, it was the country you wanted to come to because your family, your family, some of your family were here. You came in 2016. Um, 2015. 15, 16, yeah, yeah. And that was a period of time when Britain was just in the flux of this yeah. constant debate about whether or not they want to stay in Europe or didn't yeah. want to stay in yeah. Europe and all the rest of it. And <clears throat> the, it, it sort of manifested in quite a lot of hatred, didn't it, towards different people from different backgrounds. Yeah. So it wasn't an ideal time for you to arrive in the UK, yeah, was yeah, it, really? Yeah, no, so that no, must have been quite difficult. Yeah, it's... Um, well, I, when, I, when I want to describe where I come from to people who don't know much about um, politics in Iran and Middle East, I say think of Iran as a former Soviet Union state, you know. But it doesn't even have the achievements of the Soviet Union. If Soviet Union had any achievements, I don't know. But um, so it's like a Islamist, horrible, ver- even more brutal version of Soviet Union. And uh, and you know when I came here, uh, when you when you leave such a brutal, extreme place, and you come here, the first at in the first mo- first moments you don't see the horrible stuff happening around you. You just see the freedom and democracy of it. Yeah, because the uh, contrast is huge, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. the contrast is huge. Yeah. Basic yeah. things, basic yeah. things you can do that you can't yeah. do in Iran. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is, which, like, when people... It's, so that's one of the things I always talk about around here with my friends and people when we talk about things. I, I just bring it up that, you know, don't take things for granted yeah. at all just because... We, we were born with these rights. It doesn't mean it's going to be all there all the time. You just, you just, if you don't stand up for it, it would be gone. Yeah, yeah, easily. It could be gone through like any moment. And um, and we can see it happening. Like I'm, I'm constantly reminded of that Martin Nimler poem statement that says, you know, they first they came for the communists. Yes. I didn't do anything because I wasn't a communist yes. and that socialist and the working uh, yeah. union then the jews and and then I, I, I when it was my time there was no one around and it's literally happening you know yeah. um look what how the immigration laws and asylum seeking laws have been uh changing in the past few years since brexit yeah. and and the shortest wall the most vulnerable layer of the society is asylum seekers yeah. And that should be a lesson for everyone else, including white English people who are, you know, have nothing to do with asylum. If if they're gonna get rid of asylum seekers and refugees and then immigrants, you know, white English people are gonna be the next. Mm. You know, it's just it's just it just works in turns. You know, it will be your turn very soon. Whatever they need a scapegoat of some kind. That's yeah, what they're yeah. going for. I mean, the trans trans issue is an issue thing at the moment, yeah. isn't it, with trans people? So when you got here, yeah. as you say, comparatively, you had a hell of a lot of freedom. 
Um, and you must have been happy to have yeah. that freedom. You know, it's there. Um, when did you start to think about your freedom in the sense of relationships and yeah. sex and meeting yeah. people yeah. and that kind of thing? Because here you are in a city. Did you come straight to Manchester or are you somewhere else? Uh, I did, yes, yes. Well, no, not straight, but, but I, I went to Sheffield and then came here. Right. Because my family lives in Sheffield. And both, both fairly liberal cities yeah, 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 yeah. with, with, with LGBT Washington. scenes yeah, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Was that one of the first things you did? Was Did you see, seek out the, the LGBT scene uh, at the beginning? Or? It, it was a very slow journey, and I think it, it happened through becoming... So my first idea was that the way to integrate with the society and try to fit in is to go to uni, right. go to yeah, university, cool. and uh, to seek out like-minded people. And um, so I, I came to, to the uni, and the, my first experience that I... The first time that I started to think about LGBTQ plus family and and maybe experimenting with you know having sex with men and da 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 da, da um, was at the student hall. My 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 one of my roommates uh, was a Greek man, uh, slightly older than me, and uh, we clicked right away. And you know that, that was the first experience. Um, and then you know, but it, it was a very slow. Um, this experience is always a special experience. No, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was yes, it, it was. Um, but and a, and a lot of you know good and bad experiences. Yeah, and uh, it, it was a very slow thing. Yeah. Yeah. And um, but it was really strange because I realized how I'm how how you know when you when you play someone's game you you will slowly start to look like them and that was a moment i realized that i do have a miniature version of islamic republic of iran in me <laughs> and i which i need to unlearn and get it out of my system and that was a moment i realized how i'm not confident about my sexuality and how even if there is no oppressor, I've learned to oppress myself and I need to work on myself. So having sex with these guys at the beginning, did, did you feel immense guilt about it? Uh, it was guilt. It was feeling uncomfortable. It was feeling, you know, but, but it, was, it was like a battle with, between me and my body and my, my consciousness and da-da-da-da-da. It was like, it, it was, it was a, it, 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 yeah, it was a journey. It was, it was a really difficult journey cool. Cool. To, to get in there and, to come to terms with my body and sexuality and generally life, you know, and morality and everything. Um, Were you able to communicate with your family about this? Were they no, I've never or... talked about it with my family no, okay. because um, I I don't even think they have the tools to really have a conversation okay. like that yeah. with me. Yeah. Even though they're very supportive in terms of like accepting it, but I don't think they could show much... Support in terms of, yeah. in terms of articulate having a conversation about it. Yeah. Um, that and I and I make this joke that it's 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 just a joke. It's not the reality of it, but it renders the reality of it really well. That like I'm like you know my my brother who is, who started education here and grown up here. He like um, he he just came home and he was like oh my god I think I'm pansexual and then my mom was like. What is sexual about the pants? Like pants, does, <laughs> we have a lot of them in the kitchen. What's sexual about the pants? Like, I, do, I wash the pants every day. I don't think sexy. Like it's like I, I make that joke to kind of you know highlight the 
you know, the gap between the generations yeah. of my yeah. immigrant mother. So is he pansexual? Is he come out brother, as pan- Yeah, oh, he's fabulous. 14 and he has already came to this conclusion that I'm pansexual. Fabulous. I was like, oh my God, like, <laughs> when I was 14 years old, I had no idea I have a penis. Like, it's like, it's like, it's like I mean, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I, I am trying to deal, I did try to deal with it a lot through humor and... Yeah comedy and tr- just try to so you can talk to your brother about it a little bit yeah yes. but i mean but he's still he's still I mean, quite he's young isn't he yeah yeah of course but at least he does he gets it a little bit soon yeah. sometime yeah. soon yeah. yeah in four years we few, will a few more a few, a few more years yeah, yeah absolutely so when you so you came you came to britain you started having relationships with guys you yeah. met people uh which must have been fun in a way yeah. the discovery of it all like it always is uh, a young age and you're still quite young at that point weren't you you yeah. were still yeah. It's not as if you'd waited till your fifties or no, something. No, you were still quite young, yeah. so you were you were having having fun uh, with different guys, but obviously that was giving you something. Yeah. But then, when did you then discover that actually you weren't just attracted to men? Uh, that's yeah, that's a very good question. So I th- I think I think three years ago I I came to this conclusion that. I don't care whether it's a man or a woman and I what I care about is the personality yeah. you know and I, again it was like a very slow journey like five years of only dating men and was and that like a sudden revelation you thought actually I quite fancy women or do you always fancy women and no I've I've it, it was I always I've, I think what I what I was I was having um I don't know. In my experiences, I'm, I, I'm not making a general uh, statement about it, but in my experiences, I always found men more emotionally available and supportive. I, I have. I just. I don't know. Yeah. What, what, it's. I'm I not trying a connection to, yeah. between men, isn't it? Just, yeah. It's like there's a connection yeah, often probably, between women, yeah, isn't there? Probably, you know, it's yeah, like a, we, yeah, we understand. Yeah, we understand yeah. each other in that yeah, sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, but you've got another barrier to get over yeah. with women in the sense yeah. that you know. It's oh my god, yeah. Um, so it, yeah, so I, I always so that was very appealing, and obviously going through a traumatizing past, like trying to articulate and solve a you know traumatizing background that I have. I I, I was um, I, I think I, that was what I needed most. You know, maybe someone to talk to and some some partner that I have trust in and have intimacy with, and I, and I could I could talk to and. So, so I, but then, but then after after having a few really bad experiences and having toxic relationships, I had this moment that you know what? Maybe it's not about men or women. Maybe it's about. Did you actually have pro- a relationship, or was it just yeah, sexual? No, I did. I did. You had a few relationships, yeah, yes, yeah, but yeah. lasted a few months or yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, 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 absolutely. With blokes. With yeah, 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 and uh, and I and I think I think the last one that was like. Um, like uh, the, the the last one was like a long distant relationship, which was very difficult, and it ended up really badly. And then um, and then um, and then I I came to this conclusion, you know, maybe maybe I need to um, maybe I, I I need to find the right person yeah. rather than men or women. 
Right. Yeah. Um, so since then, since three years ago, I joke about it. I was like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I, I need to space it out. It's like a pussy, a penis, a pussy, a penis, a pussy. A p- it's like just, just space it out a little bit. Because like penis, 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 penis. It's like, it's like penis is like chocolate. If you have too much of it, you're like, ah, I'm not feeling very well. I need some space it out. I don't know. Um, so it's like, so that's what's happening. Did you I find think. with the guys and maybe with the women as well. I don't know because I don't know how many relationships with other women. But have you found? I don't know who you've dated. You mentioned there's a Greek guy at the beginning, yeah, but yeah. have you dated Brits? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And have you found, yeah. is there an issue and a barrier into them not necessarily understanding where you've come from in terms of your Iranian background? Has mm-hmm. that been an issue at all? Um, yes, because I think um, it also has a lot to do with, um, you know, coming from a traumatized past, whatever it yeah, is, no, you know, doesn't necessarily it's not we're not the, the only traumatized people around no. um i think it has a lot to do with mental health and then if you are not in the best um, shape mental health wise you would need a very patient kind of uh partner of course who yeah. understands you and walks with you through that journey to to regain your health yeah um so yeah there were there were bad experiences that just the person just didn't know how to deal with yeah, yeah. i didn't know how to deal with me you know yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah there were there were moments like that um what kind of guys have you ended up going with you mentioned the first guy was older than you yeah. have they tended to be older than you or same age or i think i think i i think of myself as a sapiosexual who's uh more attracted to just just people that I consider intelligent, yes. and it just happens that older people have more knowledge and experience. But it's not necessarily about age to me. No, I think no. I, it's, I, I just, it's, the, yeah. it's what they're balancing. Yeah, the yeah. And has that been the same with women as well as? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Like, I, I don't care about your f- f- physical attraction at all. I, it, what the, matters to me yeah. is your personality. We we click and we understand each other. We can. We're able to talk to each other and understand each other yeah, of course That's and would you say we often ask this uh, on the show about would you say your you mentioned just now about your yeah. affinity with men yeah. would you say that you are when it comes to sexuality would you say you were 50 50 or would you say you were more inclined to men than women emotionally sexually yeah. or doesn't it matter or, or does it does it depend on what day it is <laughs> No, I think that's a very good. I'd never thought about it. Yeah, depends which side of the bed I wake up. Things do change, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they they do. They do. We change a lot. Um, I know. I think I. um, That's a very interesting thing because I always thought I'm more emotionally attracted to. I find men more supportive and attractive in terms of the personality, maybe because we are here emotionally because they're more supportive and we understand. Because look, I grew up in Iran where when men and women are are uh, there is a segregation. There's a very clear segregation, and until three years ago, women to me were like my understanding of women was coming from my understanding of women in my family like 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 those type of roles like yeah. my mom my auntie my grandma blah, 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 blah. i didn't have enough relationships with women to understand 
other roles women play in the society. In, I didn't have enough understanding of women because of the oppression that I grew up with. And am I right in saying in Middle Eastern culture, there is, uh, putting, taking away the sexuality side of things, there is an affection between men, that men do show each other affection, not sexually, yeah, yeah, yeah. but there is a sort of a a closeness, thing, isn't yeah, there? Is that right? Yeah. Am I right? Um, we do, we definitely do have a kind of, a, I, don't, I don't know how like to phrase it, thing, like it? a bromance, yeah. a yeah. romantic brotherhood maybe, yeah. and, and, and a sexual platonic romantic yes. brotherhood maybe. Yes. I think that's definitely a thing, yeah. Which you find here in the... It happens here as well to an extent, not as much. Yeah. Um, but I think it happens with women here. Mm. I think women are often very close to each other. Probably, you know? yeah. Yeah, yeah. I definitely haven't seen any equivalent of masculine form of it around here. Or at least I haven't seen it. I don't know if it exists or not. But yeah, that's definitely a thing. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're right, yeah. yeah. So where are you now, do you think, in your... Your journey, you've accepted, as far as you're concerned, you are bisexual. Yeah. Oh you're happy with that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. What about relationships at the moment? Where are you, where are you at at the minute? Um, well, at the moment, I, I, think, I think I understood this problem that, you know, just to go back a little bit, I, I've realized that I don't have enough experiences with, like, sexual romantic experiences with either men or women yeah. and at the moment uh, I, I think I'm more um, going out there trying to um, have uh, you know f like friendship with benefits or like one night stands or like I don't know just just some sort of sexual romantic relationship with women um, and I'm trying to experiment You're experimenting a bit at the moment with women now yeah <laughs> yeah and I, and I think and how's yeah. that going uh <laughs> it's it's going really well uh a lot of fun yeah but um i so yeah i think i think i'm just i just i think you know i think growing up in iran i i've never i was never a teenager in terms of freely experimenting in you have to go through it now do you want to go through it now in a way it's yeah. like a postponed teenagehood yeah. i don't know that i'm yeah, experiencing yeah, in a sense now obviously being bisexual and um, we discussed this before we started recording a little bit um the issue of biphobia is there oh all the God, time yeah. so you're dating men you're dating mm. women yeah. the vast majority of the people who you're dating are probably not openly probably not i bet i don't know if you've managed to manage to date anybody who's been bisexual mm. but but most of the time you'll be navigating mm. either either gay men or straight women yeah. mm. are you honest with them that you're bisexual oh, when you yeah, meet them yeah yeah i think and, I think and, and what reaction do you get um um I think the social circles that I've been trying to socialize and have sexual, you know, relationships, I think they're very kind of open-minded, liberal, liberal yeah. kind of arty, lefty kind of circles. So they just don't care. They're all totally yeah. okay with yeah. it, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, but you know that, that, that these prejudices exist. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, I've had, like, biphobic moments with friends uh with like a transgender friend of mine that uh he, he was like oh so you are just loose you want to sleep with whoever and you had to explain that, like he was very humorous about it he, was, he wasn't he wasn't a hostile move but 
but I, I but I, we got into this conversation that I was like trying to explain that no 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 it, it's like it's like not every straight person wants to sleep with all women or not every gay man wants to sleep with all men or plus also what's, what's I mean what's up with slut shaming like what's like even if I why, want to sleep why, with why, everyone, what's matter? the point of sleep? <laughs> exactly. so why would you care if I want to sleep with everyone? It's up to you, isn't it? It's, it's, are you feeling inconfident <laughs> about the competition? Like, what's happening? Like, um, so, like, you know what I mean? It's, I've I've experienced biphobic moments among friends. You know, so it's definitely a real thing out there. You know, um, yeah, I, I'm very conscious. It about isn't it. talked about, right? Generally, is it? That's the no, point. Bisexuality not, is not yeah, talked yeah. about. Gay, being gay is, yeah, and people accept yeah, it, and whatever. Yeah, being bi yeah. is just something they think. What? What does that mean? Yeah, what's what's yeah, yeah. What's going through this guy's yeah. mind, you know, yeah. kind of thing? Does he fancy every single person that's exactly. walking into the room? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I've, I've had moments like yeah. that. Is he undressing everybody? You know, his mind. You know, what I mean, <laughs> crazy, crazy. So, do you? So, have you? Have you? With that, bearing that in mind, that it, it's quite difficult to know who is bisexual because yeah. you, you don't walk down the street and have a big B on your head saying yeah, bisexual. Yeah, yeah. Um, have you managed to meet many people who are bi? Oh my God! Yeah, I've had yeah, I've had a lot of moments. Um, even dating with women, I've found I've I've been dating a lot of bisexual women. Um, yeah, but I've never had any any kind of issue when dating people and hang out with people because. Um, yeah, so that's, that's been positive meeting yeah, people because, about because it. I, it's it's it, because I filter people even before meeting them. You know, you filter people. You know, you That's try to avoid yeah. those people who are biphobic or yeah. have any issues with the LGBTQ plus family. So, like, um, to, to avoid any tension. And I think, I think, the honesty and communication before even meeting people in real life. Uh, on these like dating apps etc etc that's um, that's very important to me you know to be on the same page even before meeting people yes. to avoid any kind of negative experience uh, you know. now I'm going to ask you a very blunt question now you don't have to answer it um, no. but we go we sometimes go quite deep in these conversations yeah. about, sex, about sex and sexuality yeah. there are a lot of people out there who uh who are bi, who are happy to be in a monogamous relationship and that's what they want. They're not interested in... They'll settle down with a man or a woman and that's it. There are other people who would like an open relationship like like a lot of straight people do, like a lot of gay people do. Um, but there is a, there's obviously another issue with being bi that a lot of people have this fantasy of men and women together and what that kind of thing. Um, is that something that is something that, oh, that crosses your mind? That's the most radical question you could come up with. I thought <laughs> you were gonna ask about the size of butt play. Like, um, oh, the only reason I ask you this is because Lewis, my co my co-presenter, is dead against is dead against um, having two together. He's, as far as he's concerned, it's yeah. either a man or a woman. And that's yeah. it. Um, but the, no, I have no problem with that. It's something you'd be interested. No in. problem to share a woman with another man or yeah, just. Yeah, I've, I'm very open-minded and very. I'm I'm trying to be very, like, be radically open-minded yeah. about it, you know. Yeah. Um, and I I think recently I've I'm, I've become very confident about my sexuality, and I'm very. I think recently it's I've been having um, positive experiences in the past few months at least this, in 2022. So. Um, so yeah, no, I don't have any problems. Right? So you say you were happy, you were a happy bisexual. Yeah, oh my God, yeah. Oh, that's good. That's fantastic. I that's mean, good. Look, life <laughs> is so difficult already that I think exploring your sexuality and accepting your sexuality shouldn't add any. At least you yourself shouldn't add any 
anything to that difficulty you of know I, it's just i think it's just this whole thing this whole the whole sexuality to me the all the, the whole sexual activities in life to me is it's it's all about reducing the pressure reducing the difficulty trying to enjoy yeah. your existence absolutely. yeah so so i'm trying it's to a natural thing isn't it yeah. it's a natural I, thing absolutely, like, absolutely. Don't, don't make it more difficult for you so exactly. life is already difficult <laughs> exactly life. exactly now you come from iran yeah you've seen those bromances you were yeah. talking about. You've seen men. You've seen men since you've come here. Yeah. Maybe men who've been in, oppressed and then have come into a more open yeah. country and whatever. What's your suspicion as to how many more people out there are probably bisexual in this world? Oh my God! I'm, it's, it's as I was telling you before. It's just recently that when I when I get close to people and people open up and are vulnerable to me, I've spotted. I've seen a lot of. Iranians in their fifties recently, uh, Iranians who, who spend their entire, almost entire life, life in Iran, in Iran yeah. that I've I've spotted a lot of people recently that they've they've found out they're bisexual, but they're not coming out because they have either children or a partner and a mortgage together and a life together, and it's like it's like it's so expensive to ruin that life, or it's so risky to to to, to tell the truth now. The truth that they've just discovered, you know, mm. it's um, that they just prefer to go with what they already have in life, what the the, the, the previous definition definition of truth they have. Um, so you're very lucky, really, aren't you? In a I way, am. I am. Yeah. I do feel very lucky, uh, Ashley. I do. I, I honestly do feel very lucky. Um, life could have been way worse and ended up way worse. Uh, for me, but I, I do feel very lucky, and um, so I'm, I'm I'm definitely sure. When I mean, there is a whole revolution happening in Iran right yeah, now. Yeah, I was about to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like freedom uh, movement. Um, do you think? It, do you think one day, one oh, day, one day Iran soon. will change yes. and you'll be able to go back there maybe and Absolutely. meet people and be yourself? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm I'm very positive about I, I I'm very positive about the future of Iran uh, because I'm very positive about the young Iranians. I think young Iranians, um, my generation, the younger generation, um, they are very brave, very fierce. Uh, they are, and they are so, they have such, they have this, they have such existentialist approach to right, to life these days. Um, it's, I'm, I'm super proud of them and, I, and I'm, and I'm and I'm very positive about the future of Iran, and I'm sure um, something would happen. Something is around the corner. Something very positive is, is around the corner, and I'm and and you know this um, sh this Shia Khomeiniist kind of kind of brutal Islamism in Iran is not the identity or the culture of Iranians at all. It has never been. It's a, it's a cult. It's a it's a cult of persona that Khomeini came up with and and his his circle of people so it's like so I'm sure uh, so it's like a state that doesn't fit the culture of people and I'm sure I'm sure the young Iranians would find a way to to change it and 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 the future of Iran is is a, a free democrat Iran where people could freely explore their sexuality without facing execution or 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 what do we call it in English, a pride killing, mm. uh, dying by a close member of family because they have 
dishonored the family like these kind of ridiculous stupid bullshit moves um so i'm very positive about the iran the future of iran definitely yeah. we'll watch that we'll watch that closely I mean, obviously things have been happening quite a lot recently yeah, haven't they yeah. uh, which is which is very interesting um and um yeah and good luck with your bisexual journey as it were <laughs> what we should do is we should we should meet you again in a year's time and see where you've uh... back in iran <laughs> back in iran <laughs> <laughs> when you're when you become uh, uh, you you've done a bit of bisexuality, a bit of pansexuality, and you're uh, what is it when they have several, multiple partners? What's that called? Um, what's called? Uh, po- po- polyamory, or whatever it is. We have several people. Polyamorous, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in Iran, another solo show and polyamorous. And just we'll we'll have a polyamorous brunch in Iran. Yeah, we'll start that show together. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's lovely to meet you, and lovely to see Thanks all so your much. fantastic paintings and. Um, you, when you go and have your exhibition in at home, um, is it is, is it open to everybody? Can everybody oh, yeah, come yeah, along yeah, to yeah. it? Yeah, it's, it's a it's a publicly funded uh, public show. Um, everyone can attend, and um, it will be open uh, until June, uh, early June, and um, the public can visit it any time that the home uh, home is open. I suppose the final question is on the on the subject of your work. Um, you obviously doing all this you, you do, is it is it i mean my dad's an artist so i know how difficult yeah. it is have you are you making are you managing to make a living at it um yeah 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 um it's um it, it's three years that uh, i've i've passed the threshold and i'm paying tax on art and uh, I'm, I'm a self-employed so getting, artist yeah you yeah, get yeah. an interest you yeah, get yeah. oh yeah absolutely yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's very brutal it's yes. very difficult yeah, yeah, it's yeah. really difficult especially if you're not a commercial artist like like picked up a commercial gallery yeah. like there, you don't have anyone taking care of you but um, and often you've but, got agents that want to take yeah. so much yeah, from yeah. You oh my god I've had a lot of yeah. bad experiences with yeah. like the wrong gallery wrong no, agent yeah. um, that does that all the time yeah, yeah there you go yeah. um but but it's you know it's something that you are doing out of passion out of the uh, at the end of the day and not because of the money so even the difficulties are sweet you know so, and it's just a necessary part of the experience you know parham there speaking to me at his studio in manchester and if you are in manchester or in the northwest or happen to be traveling through the northwest at any point uh, please do go and uh, see his exhibition um at the home um cinema stroke uh, theater complex right in the heart of manchester something you want to know why not ask a bisexual so this is from Joanna in Essex. I'm a 45-year-old bi woman. I've always been pretty open about my sexuality. I've also never until now really wanted to settle into a relationship. I'd never found the right guy or woman. But about eight months ago, I met a guy who I've really fallen for. He says he's bi-curious, and I think we'll probably end up having an open relationship of some sort. But this is the first person I've felt more than just a sexual attachment to in a long time. But there's a problem, it seems, for our friends and relatives. You see, Jake is 24, so there's a big age difference. And we're experiencing loads of awful comments. And in some cases, people have stopped talking to me. And my family really don't approve of it. And Jake's friends think our relationship is just a joke. It's making both of us very unhappy. And though we love being with each other, I'm not sure how much we can take of these judgments about our age differences. So... I feel, I don't know about you, um, Nikki, um, 
that this has be, started to become more of an issue recently. That I think we've gone through a period of time when we would were coping with these kind of things, and you know people weren't as being, weren't as moralistic about age gap relationships and differences. But it seems that because there's been high profile issues at the extremes on certain things, it feels that this has become it's come to the fore again, and people's petty prejudices about age gap relationships which as far as I'm concerned, as long as people are adults, it's nobody else's business, um, have come to the fore and the, and people are using this now as a as a way of, of getting at people and, and causing some real unhappiness with certain people. So, I mean, any, any thoughts on what Joanna had to say there, Nikki? Yeah, it's troubling. I mean, I think there's still a difference between how older men and younger women are treated. Not always, not always. And the example that I would give is Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, there's this endless joke about him dumping every girlfriend yeah. he goes out with when she becomes 25. And how old is he? He must 48. be. He's 40, right? Yeah, there we go. So, actually, if you saw a 48 year old with a 20 something in a bar, like, you'd be like, you might, it might not be to your taste, but so what? You know, it's not really a big deal. But it's kind of, it's because there are all the memes and all the jokes about that, right? And I noticed recently the new one that people can't stand is um, Cher and her partner, who I forget what he's called. But uh, he's in his 20s and she's 60? Yeah. No, older than that. She must be 70. There's like, there's like, I, there's like nearly 40, a big 40 50 years yeah. between them. But it's quite, yeah. it is a big difference. But again, pe- you know, people are sort of like, that's ridiculous. Although there are also lots of people that are like, go share, because share has this kind of special privilege to go and do that. I think what disturbs people is when ordinary people have an age gap and don't att- don't attempt to... Uh, justify it because like why should they and especially I think in this context when you're an older woman going out with a younger guy all you get is just a litany of he's going to be unfaithful he's going to cheat on you look what's happened with Vanessa Feltz and her partner uh, Ben who they've split up and and he's kind of had to he's literally had to well it's obviously the tabloids have gone to him they've eked out the details of him cheating and she said something like, I don't see why he was ever interested in me. And it's like both of them have been forced to give detail that cements the idea that that could never have worked when they were together for like 16 years. So it was obviously a successful relationship, you know. Um, but I think I think this, I, this, it'd be interesting to know if there's like children involved or the idea of having a family, because sometimes other people's families get annoyed when they think, oh, the chance to have grandchildren is taken away. Not that it's any of their business. It's absolutely none of theirs. But I think that's sometimes what happens. And I think, but from my own personal experience, and I've got a lot of friends now in their 40s that date men in their 20s and have way better time with them for lots of different reasons. Um, This is a culture shift that people are just still struggling to accept. But the reality is people are doing it regularly, all the time. And so many younger guys that you meet say don't have any qualms about admitting that they like old women. Um, you know, it might the the thing that gets in the way tends to be if somebody wants to have a biological child, and the and the there's that biological issue. But that's kind of the only reason. Like, why the hell? I mean, I just feel for Joanna. You literally just got to kick your family to the curb on this. And I understand when it's family, you want you want you. Of course, everybody wants their family to like their partner. Everybody wants that. But they really haven't got any right to mock or you know to take issue with your relationship. If you guys are happy, you've got to go yeah, for it. I, I just think this, this way, pretty much goes like to the very principle of everything we talk about, right? Which is like, if two consenting adults are involved, what's the problem? Like, they're both adults, they're both consenting. What what on earth is the problem? Um, but, you know, I think it's one of those things where where you've got to kind of say like, well, you're not... 
Unfortunately, you live in, in the world you live in. People are prejudiced. You're not entitled to everyone just clapping. So, unfortunately, you're going to have to fight for this. If this feels right for you, and if you're like, no, you know what? I believe in this. I'm backing this relationship. Then A, what do you care what people think? Do it anyway. But B, go to war. You're going to have to go to war with them. I'm sure that there are issues in your family that people are sensitive about. Bring them up. Like, literally, if, if someone's going to bring up your relationship, you know, bring up the time that has been cheated on them. Fine, you know. <laughs> because that actually, that's often what it's about, Lewis. You've actually hit the nail on the head. People mm. are insecure about these things because it makes them examine their own foibles and the things that are not right in their relationships. Yeah. And that's so what it's I about. Think it's about no them. They make it about the them, not about the couple. And go Absolutely. for it. And, you know, just, just make people see, oh, my God, you know what? I'm nervous to say anything about that relationship again now because the last time she exploded. You know, make people <laughs> scared. That you, that you have no right to treat you this way. Don't act like the victim. You, you know, you be the aggressor. I mean, there is, there, is, there is an issue here, though, isn't there, that never gets talked about in a way. And, you know, throughout history, there's always been, you know, quite well-known relationships of, 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 you know, people of different age gaps, you know, getting on, doing very well and having... having you know, quite long-term sexual relationships. And, and you know, and, and, and more recently, you've got, thinking about the gay world, you've got, you know, you've got Tom Daly and his partner who are 20 years between them. Uh, you've got Stephen Fry and his partner who are 30 years between them, I think, if I remember rightly. Um, but I think the thing we never discuss here, and it always feels a bit, and I hate this word, but everyone seems to be using it all the time on, on whatever, icky, icky. It's all a bit icky. <laughs> the people don't understand is that there is traditionally, and we're not going to get rid of this, there is a there is a situation where, but there, there are people out there, you know, there is an attraction is what I'm trying to say, between older and younger people sometimes. You know what I mean? I'm not saying illegal attraction. I'm talking about people who have, you know, sometimes a 20-year-old, 20-year-old guys, you, you can go on Grinder and things like that, 20-year-old guys are out there looking for guys in their 40s and 50s. You know, it does happen, and vice versa, you know, that happens. Absolutely, regularly. Yeah. And not, it's not like just a weird fetish. It's like people like people that have experience and accomplishments and and are suave and can talk and have learned things about and the often, world. And it's often that relationship that. between a younger and older person can be a, a great thing, you know, can be fantastic. And, of course, so. they grow together as they get older anyway, in a way, don't they, in terms of their experiences. They get closer, don't they, as they get, as they get older, if you know what I mean. So, but how do we get over that? Because I think we, I think we do have an issue, don't we? Really, because of all the scandals and issues in recent years, which have obviously been, you know, justified and and, and you know to do with kids and all that kind of thing, which is horrible. Um, we 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 can't. We find a problem in our minds, or the public does sometimes, or the media does, in divorcing the two things, don't they? So you will get people saying, "Oh, how can so and so and so who's in his fifties date somebody in the mid twenties? Because ten years ago." They were a teenager or whatever, you know what I mean? I think do you it's know just from? about it's like, people that are in those yeah, situations well, you get out and apologetic that? about it and being like, what is the problem? And showing that people will, will fight for it. Because why not? Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to give someone I'm not really that into um, just, just because of their age. That just makes no sense. It's just so ridiculous. So what about you? What about you two? Then I'll I'll reveal mine as well. What have you? What's the what's the big the biggest age gap in your relationships over the years? Well, I've always gone out with older men, but not much older. Maybe about a decade. I've always found a decade a good measure. Apparently, it's to do with um, the gap between your parents. And my parents had ten years okay. between them. My dad was ten years older than my mum. And so I read that apparently, if you have an older dad, it influences your um, 
your decisions to go for older men, which it has with me. But that doesn't actually, <laughs> I'll throw something cheeky into this mix. That's in my dating work life. In my former life as a sex worker, I used to obviously work with clients who were sometimes 50 years older than me. And um, I've got to be honest, there were two guys in particular who were like 60s, 70s, and they were so sexy, like the sexiest men ever. And I would never have thought that I would find someone that much older attractive, but I was like, they just had it. What about you, Lewis? 10 or 15 years. I think we should talk about it. You can reveal either. If we're talking about like relationships, I've I've not really thrown the bar out far there. Usually around the same age. (laughs) Okay. Well, for for, for me, for me, when I was in my 20s, I wasn't at all interested in anybody in the 40s and 50s. I find it. I at the time I probably had a bit of prejudice then because I thought used to. I used to see guys in the 20s going out with people in the 40s and 50s. And I was like, oh my god, how can you do that? How can you do that? Um, but as I got older and ended up in my 30s and whatever, it did. It wasn't. It wasn't an issue. I gradually realised that you know you can see people in lots of different lights at different different ages, and obviously people age in different ways anyway, and all the rest of it. So I think my the 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 the, the most for me though is probably been probably similar to you, Nicky. Probably eight or nine years. I think I think my partner now is about the about eight or nine years difference. He's eight 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 years younger than me, but um, but yeah, not nothing nothing to any particular extreme. But who knows? As you say, you know, if you meet somebody and they're you know, there's a huge age difference, but the love of your life, what the hell does it matter, you know? Well, yeah, and there are some, like, geriatric crushes that me and my friends have, like we always say, like, Patrick Stewart's every single, yeah. we'll be there like a shot. <laughs> and how was he? 80-odd? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> some people just surpass age. It's not, like, their age will never make a difference. Yeah, well, but, I mean, look at Joan Collins, for God's sake. And Percy, yeah. lovely Percy yeah. that she's married to. They look very happy. <laughs> Percy, anyway. the, the name Percy always makes me laugh. It's... It does make me laugh. That's probably why I remember his name. I don't remember everybody else's <laughs> names. Ready to ask a question of your own? Send an email now to info at madeinmanchester.tv and in the subject line say, for the attention of bisexual brunch, and you might get featured on a future show. Don't be shy, they won't bite. Okay, well, that's Bisexual Brunch for this week. If you've got any comments, thoughts, musings, do get in touch with us at at Bisexual Brunch on Twitter. And thank you for listening, and we'll see you later. Bye for now. This programme is an MIM production.